We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're here to break down the New York Giants defense on film, the All-22 Coaches film, against the Carolina Panthers in their 19-16 Week 1 win. An absolutely excellent performance by the defense, both from a schematic standpoint, Wink Martindale, from a play-calling standpoint, Wink Martindale, and from an actual effort and production standpoint from the players. There are tons of players to go over in this game who had absolutely great individual performances, in my mind, just from the start of this thing, that come to my mind. Adore Jackson, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence come to my mind. Uh, Shane Zimenez obviously comes to my mind with an excellent game there as well. Julian Love, I thought, had by far and away his best game of the season. Dean Belton played pretty good ball. I didn't love what I saw from the linebackers, specifically Tate Crowder. I want to get to that with you, Nick. Ultimately, my first thought here to kick things off, Nick, is I think the Giants benefited from Ben McAdoo going away from the run. I think if the Panthers had stuck to the run in this game, it might have been a different scenario. The Giants, the Panthers did a really good job running the football against the Giants on a consistent basis. And then they just got a little bit too pass heavy at times and then went back to the run, had themselves a nice little drive, and then once again got pass happy again. So I think ultimately they were finding solutions against the Giants run defense. I will go over the, I'll get your opinion on this later, but I think part of that is Tay Crowder uh, in, in, as that main mic there. And obviously it's partly game plan specific. The Giants played with a lot of speed on the field, a lot of defensive backs. Everything that they did to match what Ben McAdoo did was brilliant and it worked. I mean, when you see an offense that barely moves the football for most of this game, they had a long touchdown drive, the Panthers of 67 yards. They had a couple field goal drives three to be exact, but one was only 34 yards and 10 plays when they started on a short field. So two middling field goal drives, a short field goal drive and a touchdown. And outside of that, the Giants just dominated them. So awesome stuff right to talk about here. Where do you want to start, Nick? I felt like the Giants defensive front was actually pretty patient all game, specifically against those stretch outside zone type of plays. There were several plays where Christian McCaffrey was trying to get to the edge and everyone stayed in their gap while flowing laterally with the outside zone. Outside zone, every blocker for the offense steps play side, steps towards the running side. And the Giants defense just laterally flew with them and stretched that run out, just elongating Christian McCaffrey, not allowing any cutback lanes. And then they all rallied and tackled. And on several of those occasions, you had that backside pursuit defender just crash down. Jihad Ward, I think on the second play of the game, had a really good play. Then he ends up pulling Christian McCaffrey down by the face mask. Specifically in the first half, 
I felt like the Giants did a really good job combating Christian McCaffrey and combating that rushing attack. And I also feel like, and I know we'll talk about this throughout the drives, Dan, the Giants put a huge focus on stopping Christian McCaffrey down the stretch of the game as a receiver. They were just using these underneath brackets. They were walling him off two defenders with four eyes on him, not allowing Christian McCaffrey to defeat them. You know, Dontrell Hilliard with his two touchdowns in week one, Wink Martindale ensured that that was not going to happen against Carolina. Yeah, without a doubt. They made a clear, concerted effort to not let Christian McCaffrey do what Dontrell Hilliard did, which is easier said than done. Like you said, a lot of it came down to discipline. One thing that stands out to me about both these, from both these, the film of both these games, man, is it really does seem pretty clear that these Giants defenders, and again, a lot of these guys are, I don't want to say, call them no names, but unexpected players playing in key roles. Obviously, they didn't play many of the linebackers in this game, but Austin Calitro has not, it was not expected to play a key role. Played a key role in week one, probably will in some game plans. I mean, Cordell Flott, no one expected to play this early. Some of the defensive linemen they got going there, even Dane Belton to an extent. And one thing that's clear to me that I've seen, at least on these two games in film, is these, de- these defenders love to play for Wink. They really have bought into the system and the philosophy, and they fly around to the football. That's the key here. Not only do they fly around to the football, because good things happen when you do, they go for the football. There were two forced fumbles by the Giants, one on special teams, but two forced fumbles here, and then... Also, almost a third forced fumble when Julian Love nearly stripped Baker Mayfield, but it, and he actually did force the fumble, force the ball loose, but it went out of bounds. I think there's going to be concerted effort to not only fly to the ball and all this underneath stuff and rally to the ball. Even like you said, some of those stretch runs, I thought some of the most like some of the most impressive parts of those plays. Obviously, like you said, the, the defensive line sets it all. The trenches do set it all. It's not it's nothing without the trenches. But on some of those plays, I thought some of those second and mo- more importantly, those third level defenders were getting up there and putting their hat in the mix and making plays and rallying to the football to, to not let those stretch runs go for for anything greater than what they could be. So this defense flies around. They play confidently and aggressively and specifically confidently for a defense that's in the second game only in, in this new system. They have a chip on their shoulder. And you're right. The defensive front, it starts with Leonard Williams, get healthy, and Dexter Lawrence. And then it funnels out to whoever the third defensive lineman is if they're in a tight type of front or those edges, man, because they set hard edges with Jihad Ward. I feel like O'Shane Zimenez, Dan, out of nowhere. This guy has become a good run defender. That's something that we've held against him since he arrived here in New York. And he's done a pretty damn good job setting the edge and then evading blocks when he has to. Also, players like Nick Williams came up with big plays. He had this one tackle that I'm sure we'll go over in the drive-by-drive part of this, where it was a huge tackle on Deontay Foreman after Foreman ripped off, I think, like a seven-yard run. And Nick Williams did not seem to shed the guy. It seemed so sloppy. like He kind of just fell into Foreman. And then that held the Panthers to a third and one or a third and two. And they did not convert. They had to punt the football because Carolina only converted two third downs throughout this game. But can't speak high enough of even the execution of these players. You could tell they're all bought in. And who wouldn't buy into a system that is this aggressive? Like we said several times, Dan, Giants are playing with house money right now, man. They're playing with house money and they're freaking winning. That is a great recipe right there for confidence moving forward, for the culture of this team and for this coaching staff. Hopefully Wink Martindale does not become a head coach at the end of the season, though. Yeah, and I I remain pretty confident he won't. Not 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 to knock him at all. I agree. I agree. It's the way the NFL moves right now. It's just like they're looking for the next Mike McDaniel. And that, that looking for the next Sean McVay, maybe it's Mike McDaniel. Did you see? I don't know if you watched any of that game, but man, I, I went back and watched the replay of that game. 
that offensive game plan was so phenomenal for Mike McDaniel. I mean, he challenged that Baltimore Ravens defense to cover every inch, literally every inch of that field through his scheme. So just, I think people are looking for those kind of coaches. And I think if they go the defensive coordinator route, they'll probably look to somebody like D'Amico Ryan's first, a younger guy, former NFL player and key, key being younger guy. So I think we might be a little safe for a little while with Wink. Who knows how long that will be? Cause obviously he's still in the mix, you know, some, it only takes one team, but He's doing a great job. I mean, it's just crazy to think about. Like, he does, he doesn't have his cornerback, too, for this game. They don't have any depth behind him, really. He doesn't have, he lost, you know, key safeties from the team last year Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers. He moved Julian Love into a new role. He's already seamlessly playing in that role. He doesn't have, really, in my mind, any starting caliber level talent at the linebacker position. Not the guy that Wink envisions as his mic here. Like, he's okay right now. He's fast and he's not, and he's, and, you know, he plays hard, but. They're not really playing with any kind of starting level caliber talent at the linebacker position. I think most people understand that. And so with that in mind, despite losing all that and his two best projected projected edges, he's put together two unbelievable game plans specific to each opponent and for the most part dominated each opponent. And that's just a testament to who he is as a coordinator and who he, and how fast he can get these guys to buy into what he's selling here. And so it was just a really, truly great game to watch here from the Giants. I mean, look. They did things that they didn't do in the first game. They used 40.7% man coverage in this game. They did not play as much man, nearly as much man against the Titans. That was game plan specific. Baker Mayfield had two and a half seconds to throw or less on just four, on, on, on not just, on 41.4% of his throws versus Daniel Jones, who was only, who only had that amount of time or less on 23.5% of his throws. He made it difficult for Baker Mayfield. So that was the key objective in this game, in addition to making sure Christian McCaffrey doesn't beat you in the passing game. And it worked. I mean, the Giants had a dominant game from a defensive standpoint in this. The Panthers converted just 20% of their third downs, one in every, or, or sorry, they went three and out on 20% of the plays. They converted, what, 25% or I, I don't have the number in front of me right now. I'm looking at the wrong number, but they didn't convert many third down situations. And ultimately, the Giants, it's fair to say the Giants dominated this game from a defensive standpoint, Nick. So before we dive into the actual game here, I wanted to get your take on the personnel groupings that Ben McAdoo ran and then how Wink Martindale countered them. So McAdoo ran 11 personnel on 44 of 54 plays, about 82% of the plays here. What were your thoughts on how Wink Martindale countered those looks? Three safeties, baby. He was rolling out three safety. I think there was even a four safety package. You had Dane Belton in his first professional game, Dan, play 46 snaps. No. Isn't that awesome, man? Tony Jefferson, he ends up playing 10 snaps. A lot of them were in those high-pressure type of situations. And then Julian Love and Xavier McKinney, they played all 58 snaps along with Adoree Jackson. Those three players didn't leave the field on defense. So they were just matching speed with speed. And then the rare occasion that Ben McAdoo, and I don't remember what drive, so I'm going to go by the, through the drive-by-drive. Drive, we'll see. He rolled out 12 personnel. The Giants combated that. They brought Kalitro back out onto the field. They used more linebackers. And then it was a success for Carolina because they ran a play action pass where they brought the double Y set. Both those guys, one of them ran a deep horizontal cross. The other one ran a little drag route and Austin Kalitro lost. You're looking at the Giants linebackers here outside of Tay Crowder. McFadden and Kalitro played 12 collective snaps. Right. That is a crazy game plan right there, but it worked. And you know what? Credit to Julian Love, credit to Xavier McKinney. Those guys were around the line of scrimmage. There were plays on film where Julian Love was keeping his chest clean and avoiding blockers at the second level to execute his run fit as a linebacker. Barely like 205 pounds, and he's able to do that. 
I have to say, not as surprised by McAdoo running 11 personnel. I like how Wink was able to match it, and the Giants end up winning this football game because of the speed that they have out on the football field and the game plan to just absolutely remove Christian McCaffrey as a passing threat. You would think they would leverage the talents of DJ Moore a little bit. They did in the beginning of the second half, and then you really didn't see him much after that. Yeah, I love a lot of things you said there. The first being just funny to me. Like, you weren't very surprised by what Ben McAdoo did from a personnel standpoint. Of course, we watched him do it with the Giants. But one thing I thought that stood out about what you just broke down, Julian Love, man. I know how, you know how everyone always says it's kind of like a football cliche. He's always around the football. I feel like in this game, Julian Love was always around the football. Every When you watch on film, it's not every play, obviously, but a lot of these plays you'll see in the mix on in there and making and making a play or being in an opportunity or being in a position where he could make a play. So I thought he had a phenomenal game. We'll get to some of that a little bit more. But one thing I wanted to talk about when you broke down what you just said, which was the really unique personnel that the Giants use for this, just 12 combined snaps from their second and third linebacker. Basically a, a, as close as you can get to a one linebacker game. And then we talk about a week ago against a different opponent. We're on 23 of the plays, you know, nearly 50%, probably high 40%. They have seven, you know, they have stacked boxes with defensive ends and linebackers, just all. And like you said, the tight fronts with the three linemen, all with the, with the idea of spilling Henry out and then rallying to stop him in the run game. I love that Wink Martindale is the type of coordinator that has unique game plans that are so drastically specific to the opponent. Like who has ever, I, since I can remember covering this team or even watching this team, I cannot remember a game where they had their second and third linebackers on the giants played a combined 12 snaps. Like it's completely unheard of. And I think that's such a good thing because it's so smart to go outside the box and figure out that you can be, you don't have to stay in some traditional box here to, to match up against an offense like this. If he's going to run out 11 personnel like that and throw that much quick game at you and try to, you know, use Christian McCaffrey as the weapon in the passing game, put your best defensive player Xavier McKinney in coverage on Christian McCaffrey and use extra defensive backs. Make sure that you stop that first, you stop what they want to do. And then you can worry about the things that you might feel vulnerable, vulnerable about not having that many linebackers in the field. So I thought that was a great point by you. And to me, it just shows a lot. Like I can't remember too many of these type of game plans from Patrick Graham. Can you from Patrick Graham and Patrick Graham was a good coordinator and he, he did a lot I'm of not different... saying this makes you a bad coordinator. I just can't yeah. remember too many of these spe very specific game plans. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
you may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. Actually, mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. You may see your coworkers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty, and they're drinking the new mountain spring water brand called liquid death. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE if you want to try this tasty new Liquid Death. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. One thing Ken McCusick said on the podcast when we had him on, for those who don't know, he covers the Ravens pretty intently, similar thing to what we do in terms of just the all 22, the analytics, and just a comprehensive look on what's actually going on during the football game from an X's and O's standpoint. He said one of the most undervalued things about Wink Martindale is his ability to adjust to his opponents. Everybody talks about his aggressiveness and his propensity to blitz, and all of those things are true to Wink Martindale's philosophy, but when he wants to do something different and deviate to remove specific things that an offense has success with, he does that. And that's something that Ken thought Wink Martindale did not get enough credit for. And I think we just saw that here in week two in Wink Martindale's second game as a New York Giant. And I think you're exactly right about that. And that's only week two. Just think about what it's going to be like moving forward. It's just a good place to be in as a Giants fan right now. You have what I think is one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL running your defense. You haven't really even had what some people might argue is could be one of your best impact players in Kayvon Thibodeau as early as year one. I mean, we are talking about a blue chip prospect. And then another player in Aziz Ojolari, who also could be a really, really good contributor. I look at some of these plays, Nick, and people on the edge, and I'm like, man, I just can envision in my head, what is this going to look like when they have Aziz Ojolari and, and Kayvon Thibodeau on the field? I'm wondering what the rotation will be like, because the way Jihad Ward and O'Shane Zimenez are playing, you you kind of want to get them out on the football field. Obviously, not at the you expense. Think Ward could shift inside with a Williams injury. People have been asking that. I think so. Yeah, to some extent, but it depends on how he can hold up against double teams. Because Lenny and and Dex, they just hold their ground. Yeah, and they flow and they get their eyes on the running back. Man, it's such an undervalued trait from both of those players. And I wanted to bring up one more point about the safeties. I think a lot of this what Wink Martindale was able to do against Carolina has to be attributed to the personnel here because I really think the Giants have something special. I don't know how long Julian Love will be here, but I think they can have something special with Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, and Dane freaking Belton. I think Dane Belton is going to be a player, man. Just watching him move around, watching him fill, watching him almost come away with that interception from the deep half with Cordell Flott in trail position underneath Ian Thomas. You see just 
this kind of explosiveness, burst, and calm to him. This is his first time starting in the National Football League, Dan. Just broke his collarbone, missed a lot of training camp, missed like all the training camp. And he stepped in here in week two, played 46 snaps, and played, I would say, solid football. I think he could be a really good football player, man. There's no way to not be excited about what Dane Belton did in his first game. This is a guy who had an injury, slowed down all of his momentum in training camp, essentially, missed most of August. When he came back, the expectation from my end, Nick, was going to be, yeah, maybe he'll play a few snaps. They'll work him in. Maybe there's some kind of bigger role they have for him down the stretch, right? This is still, what, a day three pick, a day three rookie who got injured and missed a lot of the communication you need, the being on the field, the reps, the mental reps, the physical reps. And then he comes right back in, like you said, and plays an insanely large role in the defense also is the deep half safety, like the guy they have back there playing the role. And like you said, and we'll go over it at some point on this podcast, but nearly it came up with an interception in his first game as well. So it just speaks volumes to, and me some my mind, Nick, to how well these players have bought into the system. Like for a rookie to miss that much time and be able to come back on the field in his first game and play that big of a role. And I'm not talking about like if it was a rookie with a first round pick, right? Or a second round pick. This is a day three pick. And so to me, it just speaks volumes to what not only these players are putting in from a time standpoint, but to put in all that time and work, you have to love the coordinator you're playing for. You have to love the coach and more importantly, you have to love the philosophy. And it's really an easy philosophy to like. It's kind of funny, man. You look at the snap counts here for the New York Giants, and you have so many of these day three picks or late day two picks and these veteran journeymen who ended up earning a solid chunk of snaps in this game. And the Giants had an excellent defensive game plan that still just absolutely stymied whatever Carolina was trying to do. I always temper it by saying it is Carolina. It is Baker Mayfield. It is Ben McAdoo. But you look at the names here, man. You have Jihad Ward, Dane Belton, Cordell Flott. O'Shane Zimenez, who no one thought was going to make the team, Nick Williams, undrafted free agent Tom on Fox, Justin Ellis, Fabian Moreau, who might have been working at McDonald's two weeks ago. Like all those guys played significant snaps. Tony Jefferson, who was just signed to, to the team, he played 10 snaps. And then you have Davidson and McFadden. They played a couple, like a couple handful of snaps here and there. But you look at all these players and, and they were huge to the victory here. They were big parts of what Wink Martindale wanted to do. And some of these guys... You didn't even think we're going to be on the Giants or they were going to even make the team or have a role or even get on the football field this early in week two, specifically to Belton, who had the broken collarbone. So I just look at it, man, and watching them run around and play the way they did and execute the scheme with coaches were asking. I'm happy to be a Giant fan just watching that. Yeah, it is really fun right now. And I like that you've now replaced your these guys are accountants with their the working at McDonald's. I just think it's a it's a more apt it's a more apt analogy there. Um the accountants is specific to college. Okay. That's okay. specific to college. Okay. I feel like it, it should be a little bit more specific to certain positions, but that's neither here or there. All right, Nick, let's dive into this thing. Let's go into some of the drives and things we want to talk about. We move forward. We're gonna skip past the uh early fumble because the special teams play. Okay, so we start the first drive off after the Panthers fumble here. This is a five-play, 15-yard drive for the Panthers that ultimately leads to a, another fumble. But I wanted to ask you about this first down run, this five-yard run here. It's against the light box, just Love and Crowder in the box at the, uh, at the second level before the snap. So this is my question for you, since I'm still trying to learn how to read these keys, what where these linebackers should be. To me, it just feels like when I watch Blake Martinez he wasn't making, he wasn't missing as many of the right holes to, die, to to move forward and make the tackle into, and the right reads that Crowder does. Like for this play, for example, what where, what are your thoughts on Crowder on this play? That that's kind of what I have it circled because I wanted to ask you. 
So I don't know the the specific gaps that right. these players are assigned. responsible, right? But it's a it's a B yes, it's a B gap run where the backside guard ends up kicking out Leonard Williams, who's engaged with the block on Ian Thomas, who's a tight end. It almost looks like it's supposed to be a trap block where Leonard Williams is unblocked and then the backside guard just absolutely like ear holes him. But Ian Thomas engages on this block. So you have Tay Crowder, who's on the backside of this, and Julian Love, who is acting as the strong side linebacker. You can call him the mic if you want to, but he's towards Ian Thomas's side, which is the side of the run. It's a B-gap run. Typically, a lot of defensive setups. B-gap can be assigned to that alley defender, which would be Xavier McKinney. But here, it looks like Julian Love sets to the outside. He reads the block coming, and then he sets off the ass of Leonard Williams. With Tay Crowder, what he's doing here is I think he's protecting the cutback lane because you have Nick Williams who gets double teamed off the line of scrimmage, Dexter Lawrence who sets up right over the center. He's the nose tackle, and he just kind of gets... Dexter Lawrence kind of ends up shedding the center. But what I think Tay Crowder is doing is he is occupying the space between Dexter Lawrence and Nick Williams. I know it's hard from an audio format, and you can see he kind of runs, he closes with on Nick Williams. He sets up behind him, and you can see he's kind of like playing peekaboo around Ikemi Kwanu, trying not to get blocked by him. And then he goes back to the left to account for that cutback lane. I think he felt like maybe there was a miscommunication that Julian Love was going to be there in the B gap, or that it is Xavier McKinney's assignment to come down. But Xavier McKinney should be the last line of defense there. That's what I would think is because nobody, because Tate Crowder is supposed to be, in, in my opinion here, and I'm not 100% certain, in charge of that backside B gap. So he's kind of respecting his gap discipline here, in my opinion. I could be completely off here. I, I really could. But that's what I think he's doing. And no one accounts for the B-gap. It ends up being a five-yard run because Dexter Lawrence just kind of manhandles the center yes. as Christian McCaffrey just hits the hole. Dexter Lawrence just sheds the center. And then <laughs> and he just jumps on the back of Christian McCaffrey here. And at that point, Xavier McKinney is in the B-gap. But that would have been like a seven-yard run if Xavier McKinney made like a good tackle, open field tackle on Christian McCaffrey. But I don't know. And I'm not 100% certain, like I said, if I should be blaming Tay Crowder specifically yeah. for this as the backside linebacker when he has to respect that cutback. That's fair. I think for me, from a, a less nuanced standpoint and just from a general feel from watching the film, the way I watch it, not knowing nearly as much as you, Nick, and a lot of other people I'm trying to learn from, but also at the same time with what you just said, not always knowing the assignments and what gaps these players are assigned are supposed to be in. There's just a difference for me watching when, Blake Martinez was the mic against the run versus when Tate Crowder is the mic against the run. I'll go over some plays later and get your thoughts on them, but there's just so many times where he's either just not making these plays, not shooting the gaps. Maybe those aren't his gaps. I don't know, but also plays where he's just getting like beat at the second beat, beat by like a center who climbs to the second level and just kind of washes him out of plays where he's just like, it just doesn't look like he ultimately has any chance to make an impact in the run game there. And this is your Mike linebacker. This is the main guy that in my mind is, is setting the tone in the run game. So, well, we'll see as we work through this, if there's anything specific that you might have pointed that you might have noticed. We'll talk about Tay Crowder specifically, and I could be off here, but one thing I agree with you on, and this is something that dates back to his rookie season. I feel I felt like maybe he was going to take a step forward. There are situations like this one where Blake Martinez would have been in the position to make the tackle, where better linebackers would still find a way to make right. the tackle. It seems like he's guessing here. He's going back and forth, and he's unsure if Christian McCaffrey is going to hit. The, the hole that he ends up hitting. So he's erring towards the side of caution to possibly maintain the gap discipline that he was supposed to, which I don't really want to knock him for that because that's what you're supposed to do. But there were times on tape last year, different defense, I get it, where Blake Martinez, he had more freedom to roam around blocks and then make tackles, but you could just see how much more dialed in he was right. than a player like Tay Crowder. And that's not a knock at Tay Crowder. It's just, I felt like from a reading the defensive front 
reading what's happening, the blocking schemes in front of you. It's something Tate Crowder has never really been that excellent at. Yeah, it's almost like kind of like the natural instincts of it that I just feel like some of those great linebackers have and maybe not Crowder. It's a position that for me, I'm going to still want to make a big effort to upgrade in this offseason. We'll see what the Giants actually do in that regard. We know they were thinking about it because they signed, and that, this could also be because of their depth situation, but they signed Jalen Smith this week, former Cowboy, former second-round pick. At one point, a really good NFL player. Had another injury, I believe, that kind of sapped his athleticism, some believe. Was on the you know wire, obviously. They were able to scoop him up to the practice squad for now. Maybe he gets the call for this Monday night. We're not sure right now. But we also heard they were sniffing around Jill Schobert, Wisconsin Badger, faithful used to be a very good player in the NFL when he was with the Browns. I wonder if used he to be. used, used to, to be used to be. Yeah, he's probably now, now, now I haven't watched Joe Schobert, so I don't want to sit here and make proclamations that I'm not really sure of, but I know people who follow the Jacksonville Jags and they laugh every time they hear Joe Schobert's name. So just take that for what it's worth. It's fair because he was a player dealing with limited athleticism to begin with. And so if that's gone, it's probably just not, he's just probably not there. We'll see what happens at that linebacker position, but let's get to, the next play here, it's one I felt like the Giants' defense set the tone early on because they sent six pass rushers. They got their hands up to stop the quick game, to get the passes batted down. McKinney makes a great play on it, bats the ball up. And this, to me, just told me right away that the game plan is going to be we're taking away your quick game. We're putting our, we're having all of our, the, all the people we're putting on the line of scrimmage are going to be eligible and potentially could bat your pass down. Little Baker Mayfield, little Baker. And, and that's exactly what they did on this play. Yeah, Xavier McKinney had two PBUs. We'll go over the other PBU, which was on an RPO where Xavier McKinney baited the throw and then sank underneath and got his hand up. That was an excellent play. But on this one, he's just the the blitzing safety, and he realizes he Kwanu kicks out. He doesn't get fooled by Jihad Ward going inside. Not here, at least. He gets fooled a little bit later on in the game by not the same type of concept, but something like that. Xavier McKinney just eyes down Baker Mayfield here, engages Kwanu, and then gets his hands up there, man. I love just how instinctual. Xavier McKinney is and plays like this are, are just little like tidbits that you pick up on where you're like, I've seen so many different defenders go into a tackle like that and then miss time the jump right. or late with the jump. Xavier McKinney. No, man, he did it twice in this game. And that says something. And by the way, Dan, I don't know if you have anything on that, but that second and five run the play before this. Yep. That's really good defense there too, to the, to the play side. Right, they all flow. This is kind of what I was talking about with Christian McCaffrey. But you can see, man, there's a cutback if Jihad Ward isn't there. But Jihad Ward is the unblocked defender who was the read defender for Baker Mayfield. He stays put with Baker Mayfield, and then he just crashes down the line of scrimmage. You can see how Tay Crowder here even kind of over pursues. Everybody pursues towards the play side. If Jihad Ward wasn't there, which he's going to be there, but say if he was fooled for whatever reason by Baker Mayfield keeping the football. There could have been a cutback length. You could see how the defense starts to get washed towards the line of scrimmage. But you want to talk about really playing the, the play side well in terms of up front, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Nick Williams. They're all just stacked out here, man. No push by this offensive line. So many blue bodies. Luckily, though, there was no cutback lane because Jihad Ward just crashed down and then he just took a stupid face mask penalty. But good overall play besides that. Julian Love, by the way, gets uprooted on that play too. Yeah, he did. And this is just a good example of the little things that Jihad Ward has been doing for this Giants defense that make a big impact. That's been consistent in both the games so far. And I love the point you made about Xavier McKinney because I know exactly what you're talking about. I do see so many times where there's players who just, maybe it's instincts, maybe it's athleticism or a combination of both, but they mistime the jumps and they don't get their hands to bat the balls down. This was clearly a, t a talking point, a teaching point for Wink Martindale. 
leading up to this game. He knew that he had an opportunity to bat a lot of balls to the line of scrimmage potentially with Baker Mayfield and make him really uncomfortable throwing that quick game. And you need, but you still need the second part of that, the execution of it. And that's a great point by you that McKinney was able to execute. I want to get to this on this drive, the play right after the batted pass, the second and 10, 1135 in the first quarter for anyone following along. I just thought this was great discipline by the Giants defense, not a lot, kind of not allowing this to go for anything. Oh, yeah, that was an excellent play. And you could see Jihad Ward again. This guy's name's coming up everywhere. Tay Crowder and Dexter Lawrence read this play. For those who aren't watching, it's a touch pass. DJ Moore motions in front of Baker Mayfield. One of those little touch passes, quick, you know, easy four or six points, whatever fantasy league you're in, touchdown type of pass where the quarterback really doesn't do anything. But DJ Moore catches this ball. And then Jihad Ward is right there to box him back inside, right to Dexter Lawrence and Tay Crowder. Just really well read by those three defenders to that side. And then Shai Smith, I believe it is, ends up holding Xavier McKinney on right. this play. I think it's Xavier McKinney, which is another 10-yard penalty, and it forces a third and 22 where Robbie Anderson gets stripped. And I guess it's not like, it, it seems on the surface like a pretty normal play to stop that, but you do see defenses get burned by this play a lot and by the misdirection and by the push passes. And if you have a disciplined defense like the Giants currently have right now under Wink Martindale, you don't get burned by this kind of play. Like you said, Jihad Ward makes a great play, but there's also two other Giants defenders rallying to this play, and they stay disciplined and make sure this doesn't go any for anything. So I just pointed that out. Then the third and 22, they just try to screen the Panthers to Robbie Anderson on the outside. Just another good example to me, set the tone early with what? They're going to try to bat passes and not let the quick game beat them, and they're going to rally to every single underneath pass and every single run play here. And that's exactly what they do. The entire you, you look at the end of this play, it's just blue, 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 blue. The Giants are all rallying to the ball, and then obviously the forced fumble. What, do you, what did you see on this one? Great individual effort by Darnay Holmes here, who ends up holding Robbie Anderson up and then stripping him himself. But right as Darnay Holmes strips him, you have Tony Jefferson. You have... I think Toman Fox, Julian Love, Xavier McKinney, I believe it is, or maybe it's a Dory Jackson, Dane Belton. They're all just converging on him. So just like you said, man, everybody rallies to the football here. It's a mentality, dude. It's a mentality of this culture that is instilled by Wink Martindale. And that's the type of mentality I want my defense to have. It's going to force turnovers. It's going to be aggressive. And like Wink Martindale said, when he first accepted this job, he is going to dictate the terms, not the exactly. offense. I love, I love that. that. I and mean, look, we know we're going to get burned sometimes by these really good quarterbacks. There were opportunities yes. for Mayfield. Not, not as many as you'd think for how aggressive the defense was, but the good quarterbacks will burn this style of defense with the current personnel they have. The only way good quarterbacks are going to ever be stymied by this style of defense, in my mind, Nick, and you know, we there's this is not this is just an opinion, is if the Giants can build out a cornerback core like the Ravens had for a little while with those big three. If they can build out a similar cornerback core then I think that it's a tough defense to beat for any quarterback. But we know we'll get beat at times. But let's get to this next drive. It's 6 nothing Giants at this point. It's a 13-play, 58-yard drive by the Panthers that only results in a field goal because the Giants make a really good stop in the red zone. I feel like there are a ton of plays to break down in this. I looked at your notes. I looked at mine. We both have a ton of stuff written about this. Where do you want to start here? The first run, I just want to say it was a eight-yard run by McCaffrey, so one of his better runs. But Calitro on this play, the Giants are out there with two linebackers. He eats a lead block and a offensive guard that is climbing up to the second level, and the run goes right into his gap. But somehow he ends up shedding this play and making the tackle, and I felt like that was impressive. From an execution standpoint, it's not great. You gave up eight yards right into your responsibility, but the fact that he was able to shed the fullback and shed the guard was pretty impressive. So I just kind of wanted to tip my cap to a guy who 
might not play that many snaps going forward. We'll have to wait and see what the Jalen Smith or the Joe Schobert situation, how that unfolds. Yeah. And what do you think about um, Tate Crowder on these first two plays, the first and 10 for eight and then the second and two? Because I'm, Again, I'm, I'm trying to learn from this, Nick, and I'm trying to learn through you and other people, but I just feel like he's out of position on both of these. He gets washed up by, you know, at the second level by the offensive lineman on the first one. He's just nowhere in the vicinity to make a play on either one. Well, he doesn't get washed up on the first one. The first one, he collapses into the play side A gap because this is a weak side run right here. Crowder is the str on the strong side of the formation towards the double Y set. So double Y set, you have two tight ends to the field side. They're both right next to each other. They're both in line. That's why it's a double Y set. Tay Crowder is to that side. Typically teams run to the strength while the Panthers run weak side. They use the fullback as the lead blocker there to kind of try to kick out Austin Calitro. Tay Crowder reacts well and he goes into the A gap because you have Dexter Lawrence who's a one technique to the weak side. He goes into the A gap opposite of Dexter Lawrence and he has to kind of maintain a presence there because there's a cutback lane there. There's a cutback lane. Yeah. So he gets kind of behind Nick Williams and you can see he's peeking around Nick Williams to see if he's going to hit that cutback lane. And he doesn't hit the cutback lane because Christian McCaffrey sees that there's a crease because two blockers are on Calitro. That's a nice crease right there. Now, maybe you could say, should Tay Crowder respond quicker to scrape over the top and then get to Calitro's responsibility? Yeah, possibly you could say that, but like he's executing his assignment here and Calitro just does a good job kind of rectifying his mistake. I don't even know if I want to say a mistake. He was just put into a pretty you know, crappy situation here with two blockers hitting him, but he somehow makes the tackle. But I don't really, again, I don't fault Crowder, but maybe a better player would have made a better play. And that's kind yeah. of similar to the conversation we have about Daniel Jones, right? So Tay Crowder, Daniel Jones, same thing, same player, I guess. No, but in all seriousness, that's, I feel like the kind of player Tay Crowder is. It's fair. And what about on the second and two? Yeah, on this play, it's 12 personnel and Carolina puts tight end on each side of the formation. Tay Crowder is aligned in the A gap with Dexter Lawrence as the one technique, kind of a nose to the boundary side. And then Leonard Williams as a three technique to the field side. So you don't have a lot of bodies on the line of scrimmage, but you have Tay Crowder and Austin Calitro in the box with Jihad Ward and Oshin Zimenez just outside of those of those tight ends, six techniques, right? So what happens here is you just hand the football off to Christian McCaffrey Dexter Lawrence gets chipped by the guard and the guard just goes and locates Tay Crowder at this point. And there's really not a lot Tay Crowder can do to, to avoid this guard. This is, I feel like the giants just getting the ball run against an advantageous front because both Christensen and Equanu have free releases to climb up and locate Calitro and Crowder here. And that's why you see a Dory Jackson kind of fly into the screen aggressively to execute a run fit into the B gap. And luckily, Adoree Jackson, this is an amazing play by Adoree Jackson, who's able to get right off the ass of Jihad Ward, who sets the edge to make this tackle. And Calitro does a solid job avoiding Iquanu, but Crowder just kind of gets swallowed up here. Ideally, you want him to stack and shed and, and right. get around him and use your agility and athletic ability to avoid. But the angle there is difficult for Jay Crowder to avoid. Maybe a better player can figure out a way to avoid Christensen on this play. And we'll get off the Crowder subject because, you know, we don't need to harp on this, but I do feel like I've seen enough of the Giants film where I have seen Blake Martinez in that spot able to shed and get away and make a play on it. And in this spot, Crowder's just taken out. Like he's just nowhere near. I don't know. I just, it, it well, we'll get off of it. But again, I'd like to see a little bit of an improvement there from the run defense standpoint for somebody who's playing such a pivotal role. I mean, he was the only linebacker who played a lot of snaps in this game. All right, let's move on here. Let's go back to this first and 10 play here right after that run. Another good play by McKinney at the line of scrimmage, locating the ball and batting it down. 
This is the RPO I brought up before, Dan. Like this is an excellent play because McKinney flies into this lane right here to force the RPO, to force the throw because it's an RPO where goes into the mesh point, Baker Mayfield, and McKinney is the apex defender pre-snap. So what does he do? He flies in to that backside, weak side B-gap, and that tells Baker Mayfield, I'm going to have the slant inside if my receiver can win on an inside release. So he fires the football, but Xavier McKinney, as he goes down in the run fit, stops right as Baker Mayfield pulls the ball and gets his hands in the air and knocks the pass down. Like That is a difficult play to make. You're the conflict defender. You're the read defender. What you do is supposed to be wrong no matter what but he made it right because he's that freaking talented and also dexter lawrence shedding the uh the guard on this play i don't know if you, i don't know if you saw that man that's uh that's just dexter lawrence right there bro yeah he just wins in a phone booth often and that's been the case since the start of his career it was definitely on display in this one even at times in this one once he won and shed his defend his blocker he was able to even get pressure too i thought he was doing a great job as a pass rusher in this game dexter lawrence which is not always the case um the second and set, uh, 10 screen to McCaffrey, anything there? I thought Holmes did a good job on this play. Yeah, that was just a great play by Darnay Holmes to trip up McCaffrey. It could have been a lot worse than it was. Yep. And then we get into a third and four. They stop it up for six. And I just love what I love about this third and four here, Nick, was, and I know eventually they go for it on fourth down after Dexter Lawrence. Like anyone who watched this play sees the insane hustle play by Lawrence. But what I love the most about this play was Leonard Williams lined up as almost like a true edge on the right side and just absolutely bull rushing and getting through as a true edge. here. I thought Williams was awesome on this rep. I know Lawrence was the key to this rep, you know, tracking it down hustle play, but Williams in that unique spot that I don't always see him lined up in really had a nice pass rush here. Yeah. And it was against the Quanu, the rookie and he wins high side, uses his hands very efficiently and just bends around the outside shoulder. He catches Equanu just leaning all off balance, makes him pay, forces Baker Mayfield to come off of his reads and run. And then <laughs> they get tracked down by Dexter Lawrence. Like Dexter Lawrence is 340 pounds I know. and he is tracking down Baker Mayfield. I mean, he doesn't even have like that great of an angle angle here. Like no. Baker Mayfield, he's not the best athlete at the quarterback position, but man, dude, like to get tracked down by a 350 pounder, it really says something about the level of athlete that a player like Dexter Lawrence is. And also just that Baker Mayfield might not have that type of athletic ability. For sure. And I always talk about how I want these two to dominate games based on their size, their athletic ability, you know, what they're paid, their pedigree. And I really did feel like both Williams and Lawrence had dominant performances in this game. It really sucks to lose Williams for however long they're going to lose him. Probably think along the timeline of what the Giants have already lost Kayvon Thibodeau for because it's a similar injury. I think it's the same injury, though, obviously different athletes recover in different timelines. But to me, like when I see them playing this well, and I thought Leonard Williams had a really good camp for the Giants, and I thought he looked in the best shape I've ever seen him in his career with the Giants. I felt like the breakout year was coming, and it really did feel like just unbelievable performances from both these guys when you watch the tape. They're just truly making a difference on the interior, winning at such a high rate. I think those players right there, if they could play to their potential, you're talking about a dominant defensive front if they play to their potential. And that's not saying if they don't play to their potential that it's some sort of lack of effort on their part. I just think they both have incredible traits that have yet to be maximized. Leonard Williams kind of a little bit throughout early in his career when he was with the Jets, you could say, and then the 2020 season with the Giants. But they have high ceilings, and I don't think Dexter Lawrence specifically has, has reached that ceiling quite yet. Yeah, I think that's a good point by you. So they go for it on fourth and one. And then they get themselves into a, they, they convert. Now it's first and 10, first play of the second quarter. I wanted to bring this one up, Nick, because 
This is the one where Belton almost made an interception. But to me, what stands out here is this is some ugly stuff, in my opinion, from Baker Mayfield. He has a fully clean pocket here. This is as clean as a pocket gets, can throw from a fully clean base. And I guess the whole objective here is to throw throw this ball so it goes away from the safety, right? I mean, you don't want to have Belton come over and make that interception, even though eventually he tracks it down and almost makes the interception. But the ball placement on this thing from such a balanced base, it's just not there. Like, that can't be where the ball is thrown, and it ends up being an incompletion, almost an interception. I'm wondering if this isn't so much on Baker and more on Ian Thomas and just the route because DJ Moore. So you have DJ Moore who is inside of the numbers with Ian Thomas as the Y tight end to that side. And the Panthers are going to run play action, just basically run a seven. So a corner route from Ian Thomas and then a streak from DJ Moore, but DJ Moore releases inside and Cordell Flott kind of bumps him as, as long as he can bump him within the five yard range, just kind of trying to use physicality against DJ Moore, which burns him in the second half, but it worked a little bit here because he ends up bumping DJ Moore kind of closer to where Ian Thomas breaks. And as Ian Thomas breaks, he kind of runs almost right into DJ Moore. He has to slow down a little bit. Ian Thomas, the ball is delivered right as Ian Thomas breaks here. And I think maybe Baker Mayfield didn't anticipate the fact that Ian Thomas was slowed down by DJ Moore kind of getting in his way. That would be my theory on on why the ball's a little off. But like I said, I think on yesterday's podcast, or maybe it was a quick reaction podcast, I wish that throw was put right on Ian Thomas because holy crap, Dan, did Dane Belton play this well. So this this coverage right here, it's quarter, quarter half, also known as cover six. So what you have in quarter, quarter half, you have two defenders take a quarter of the field, and then one defender takes half the field. Dane Belton is the de- is the defender taking the half field. And I felt like he was the one playing cover one a lot. Like they really like his range and trust his ability to execute angles efficiently. And on this play, Dane Belton's in his back pedal. He has two guys coming right into his zone. No panic at all. Completely poised. Keeps his eyes, looks through the route and keeps his eyes on Baker Mayfield. And right as Baker Mayfield's hips turn as he hits his back foot, you could see Dane Belton start to break underneath on a seven route. Before the break of Ian Thomas, Dan, like he knew this route concept was coming and he broke basically right as Ian Thomas broke and he just laterally flowed towards Ian Thomas and it cut down on the angle, clicked and closed and then almost came away with this pick, man. This is a really smart play from Belton, who everybody in the locker room raves about this kid's just intelligence overall. It seems like it's going to translate to the football field. And even on this little play right here, I felt like Belton and Cordell Flott had pretty good reps. Cordell Flott was the player harassing DJ Moore, and then he ended up taking trail technique against Ian Thomas on the seven route. Range, instinct, spatial awareness, and anticipation. Those are four key traits for any deep half safety. And if he has those traits like he displayed on that play, this could be really, really exciting for Giants fans because they are dying to find a day three safety or a day three hit at any position, especially in the defense that wants to use a lot of safeties, especially in a defense that wants to use Xavier McKinney in creative ways and not just have him line up in the deep half all game, right? Use him down on the line of scrimmage. Use him to take Christian McCaffrey out of a game like he did in this one in the passing game. So, and I know it wasn't all him. The Giants did a lot of things schematically to put extra eyes and extra bodies around Christian McCaffrey, but it gives them so much more flexibility. And and like you just said, man, what you just broke down on that, if he's, if he's doing that at a consistent basis, like flashing that kind of anticipation, spatial awareness and range, that gets me really excited, Nick. I, I can't lie. It gets me really, really excited. Absolutely, man. And I love the second and 10 play, not just because my fellow Paisan Giovanni Ricci, who I didn't even know there was an Italian tight end 
on the Carolina Panthers. He makes this catch, but the safety rotations, we, we, we get the glimpse of the creative safety rotations and the blitz and how the end man on the line of scrimmage drops underneath Christian McCaffrey's release here. But we, this is the first play where Wink shows it in the game and he shows it a little bit later and Baker Mayfield ends up punishing him again to Ian Thomas. But then in the second half, it wasn't as fruitful for Baker Mayfield. So Nick Williams gets a free rush here and Darnay Holmes blitzes from the three receiver side. Carolina is in empty and credit to Baker Mayfield. He realizes the blitz and he throws hot, but I love pre-snap. You have to the two receiver side where Christian McCaffrey is, you have the safety aligned and off coverage on him. Right before the snap, he rotates to a single high look. Dane Belton drops over the top of the number two receiver to the three receiver side. That's where Darnay Holmes blitzes. Darnay Holmes gets baited a little bit early and I think tips his hand a little bit with Baker Mayfield because then when Darnay Holmes comes, the protection kind of gets confused. Nick Williams runs right in on Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield throws hot to Ricci here. What the Giants were hoping was that Baker Mayfield would hesitate a little bit and throw this football because you have from the two receiver side, Julian Love, who's acting like he's going to blitz to occupy some of the blockers for the offense. He drops underneath diagonally to undercut the number three receiver on the three receiver side, Richie. It's just Baker Mayfield fired the football in there and put it in a place where Julian Love couldn't really get his hands on it. But there are a lot of moving parts here. An inexperienced quarterback who might not have dealt with Wink Martindale in the past can easily throw this football thinking he has time or thinking that he's going to, it's going to be an easy completion right into the hands of Julian Love, who is there to specifically undercut the number three receiver. Love that. Love post-snap rotations from safeties. I love anything that can confuse a quarterback. And hey, Nick, I think the Giants might be facing a quarterback who's inexperienced and hasn't faced much of Wink Martindale, if at all, ever faced Wink Martindale this week. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I just hope Cooper Rush doesn't go in there and light it up, man. <laughs> that, that would that'd, that'd be that'd be horrible. That'd be I don't horrible. I see that happening, brother. I really feel confident in the defense in this game. Well, the offense is a whole nother story. I'm very concerned with how the Giants are going to move the ball. More importantly, not turn the ball over against I the know. Dallas defense because that is going to be the key of this game. If the Giants have a two turnover game from Jones like they had in Week One. It's not going to be a win. That's my prediction. They need zero turnovers out of Jones and. I think the game plan will be specific to get that like it was this past week. But as far as the defense side of golf ball goes, I think Wink is going to make this a living hell for Cooper Rush and, and do things like you just broke down on that play. Like, yeah, Baker does a good job to react to this and get a gain out of this. I don't know if Cooper Rush is. I mean, he's never seen Wink Martindale. He's never seen a lot of things he's going to probably throw at him. And more importantly, there's not too many examples from the first two weeks that he can touch on. He can use this play, but there aren't too many other examples that Cooper Rush is going to be able to lean on. And, and like you said at the beginning of this, you know, Ken McCusick said they're going to have a specific game plan for Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm just really excited about watching the defense again this Monday. It's going to be so much fun, I think. Hopefully, again, knock on wood. I don't not want to jinx the Giants or the Giants defense, but I do want to say that. Um, let's talk about the first and 10 with 1352 in the second quarter. I think it was right after this play or no, I'm sorry, the play before that, the first and 10 where uh, they, they had a 19 yard running catch. So. My question to you watching this play is, do you feel like, and I know the Giants did a good job later in the game adjusting to a similar type play call and route combination and taking it away from Baker, but you feel like, but I've seen this in week one a little bit, and I saw this again in week two, are these deep crossers or intermediate crossers and, and overs going to be a problem for this style defense all year? So the Giants are in cover six again, quarter, quarter, half, and they assign Cordell Flott and Meg, man everywhere he goes on DJ Moore, who is on the left side of the Panthers formation, DJ Moore just clears flat out and that opens up this deep horizontal cross 
to Robbie Anderson. And what you need to do here is you need these underneath defenders for this not to be a problem. You need these underneath defenders to locate right. these crossing rounds. Now, Tay Crowder, he goes to robot here and he twists his hips and then he just kind of sinks to like a spot zone and nobody attaches to Robbie Anderson here. <laughs> yeah. If I would imagine, and I'm not, I'm not hundred percent certain there's an underneath route from the backside to occupy, I believe it's Julian love. So what you would hope is that the linebacker there robots roll over and back, find the crossers and then sticks underneath Robbie Anderson. He's going to lose that battle, but at least you can test it. He doesn't do that. He just kind of sits there and you have two defenders, him and Darnay Holmes, who were over the wide receivers initially, who were just sitting there occupying zones that, that nobody's there in, you know, and this is a spot zone, spot drop zone with the meg coverage. So it doesn't seem like it's any kind of match. So maybe that's one reason why, but that's the huge vulnerability there. If you're going to have Cordell Flott in man everywhere he goes on DJ Moore because no one's even close to being anywhere near Robbie Anderson as he catches this football near the numbers. And then it takes, I believe, Xavier McKinney to come down from depth to, to make this tackle on him, even though Robbie Anderson falls down. So that's a big vulnerability there. I'm hoping, I mean, I'm sure the the Giants will adjust and, and rectify it. Cover six is a is a coverage call that they they used a lot throughout this game and a decent amount down in the red area. And they're not quite in the red area right now, but they're just outside of it. So I'm sure they'll look at the tape and find a way to, to combat those horizontal crossers or at least have those second level defenders attach underneath them to harass and make it more difficult pass. I hope they have the second level defenders who can successfully do that. That I'm not convinced of by any means right now, to be completely honest, but we'll see. Hopefully you're right. And hopefully they can adjust. I have a question for you. Were you a little bit surprised by how often Cordell Flott was in coverage on DJ Moore and not Adoree Jackson? <laughs> yeah, it was actually. I, I was pretty surprised, and I got to yeah. say, and I know it might not come through from the broadcast, and I know he ends up getting benched. <laughs> he did pretty freaking well in the first half. Yeah, not so too. He was kind of harassing DJ Moore a little bit, and I think it was a coaching point by Carolina. And they said, all right, DJ, you're six foot tall, so he's a little bit taller than you. But you got about like 20, 30 pounds on this dude. Just use your strength. And that's exactly what happens in the second half. He just kind of uses his strength on Cordell Flott and imposes his will. TJ Moore, we've said it several times. This guy could be, in my opinion, a top 10 wide receiver in the league. He has that type of potential. It's just he's toiling away in Carolina right now with Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and whoever Cam Newton at the end of his career. So <laughs> it, he's a good receiver. And I felt like Cordell Flott for the first half did really well against him. Yeah, I mean, there was a rep. I don't know if we'll get to it, if it won't, but where Baker tried to hit a back shoulder to Moore, and I felt like Flott was step for step with him on that route. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I'm surprised, not surprised they benched him. I guess it's just kind of a coaching point. They want to get different people in so they have more reps to evaluate the film of going into the future games for as long as Robinson will be out for. But, yeah, I'm with you. I just was definitely a little bit surprised. Speaking of Cordell Flott, I like what he did on the next play, 13:52 in the second quarter, first and 10 after that big running catch on the over to uh, for 19 yards. He doesn't wrap him up fully and make the tackle, but the Giants defense rallies the ball. And I thought Flott had really good recognition on this run play to, to, to kind of attack forward, almost get the tackle for loss, but ultimately make a play to slow down McCaffrey. Yeah, the rookies each got a missed tackle here because Dane Belton missed a tackle, but they slowed McCaffrey down. And more importantly, they forced him backwards. McCaffrey ends up like four yards behind the line of scrimmage, loses one yard because Julian Love ends up coming up rallying and making this play. Xavier McKinney was right there as well. Julian Love, he played in the box, man. And he gets kind of crack blocked by DJ Moore here. And I swear there were like three times, four times in this game where I was like, oh man, Julian Love, he's eliminated. Somehow he gets up and he makes the tackle. Like that happened like three or four times throughout this game, man. You talk about a dude. You want to talk about a dude who can get up, 
when he's down, quickly find the ball carrier and then use his athletic ability to locate and make a sure tackle. That's Julian Love, man. Like every every game I feel like that I'm watching of Julian Love now is is going to reinforce the fact that I want him to be resigned. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Around the ball a lot, plays with an insane amount of effort, has seamlessly transitioned to a role, a new role that they've asked him to play. I'm with you. These are the definitely the type of players I want to resign. And look, some people might be like, but Dan, you were so against the resigning of Logan Ryan for three years, 30 million. And I was. But to me, that's a totally different situation because Logan Ryan was entering his 30s. And he was any he, for some odd reason expected like this massive like pay pay grade. Like, I guess because the Giants gave him the first deal, which is like 10 million for a year. He got this. He, he somehow negotiated a really good deal with the Giants. I don't think that Julian Love is going to get the same kind of deal, to be completely honest. And we're investing in a younger player. So to me, and it's a homegrown player, it's somebody you brought up through the system and through the draft. That to me is also very important. So I think it's a different scenario, and I'm completely with you. I would like them to re-sign Love, and I'll be interested to see. They're going to have, like, look, we all talk about, oh, my God, the Giants, have so, they're so screwed in the cap. They have no cap space. That's really only for this year, and it's based on design by Joe Shane. He wanted to make it a very nice cap situation moving forward. Now, it's not going to be as nice as he hoped for because he's most likely going to have to cut Kenny Galladay and eat up a ton of dead cap there. That's unfortunate. That's just that's just a situation here with the Galladay thing. It's not great. But And there will be a little bit more dead cap, too. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, but this situation gets really nice for them with the cap really soon. So guys like Love, I think, are definitely in position to potentially get re-signed. Which would be nice, man. And I like this next play, too, the second and 11. And in my oh, notes, yeah. I give credit to McAdoo here. I say McAdoo adjustment in bold with two exclamation <laughs> points. Because what did I say a little bit earlier, right? The Giants are running a lot of cover six here. So what does McAdoo do <laughs> to the doo-doo, to the boundary side where that deep half defender is going to be not the quarters defender he runs dj moore flaring all the way to the flag christian mccaffrey from the backfield he does a wheel so you're flooding the deep half and then you have ian thomas kind of run directly at xavier mckinney who is that deep half defender there now what happens though there's a motion pre-snap or just at the snap of shy smith darnay holmes comes and follows shy smith from the backside of the play and just kind of stays in the flat there to just be a presence along with Shai Smith, who is just looking for a simple little check down. But I like how McAdoo flooded the zone here, and it might have had DJ Moore, Baker Mayfield, really just through this with great anticipation because Xavier McKinney had to respect Christian McCaffrey. And that, I think, is the play design. And maybe Baker Mayfield was going to do that if it wasn't for Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams getting immediate pressure as Baker Mayfield was hitting his back foot. And if you actually watch this from the end zone angle, Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, and I put this on Twitter, (laughs) they both use a swim move at the same exact time. It literally looks like they're at a concert singing in unison with one hand in the air waving. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah, it really is. And this is a great play. Nick put it on his Twitter of an example of what I was mentioning earlier, how I really felt like these two had such a really dominant game for the Giants. This is what I mean. When I want interior linemen who dominate up front, this is the type of game I'm thinking of. And it does it is a shame we're going to lose Leonard Williams. I feel like we'll really feel his value after the, after losing him, unless, of course, you know some other guys can pick up the slack and we get more from the edges. But we'll see what happens there. But this before that injury, I mean, he was playing a great football game here. All right, let's talk about anything on the third and nine. I mean, look, Holmes does get beat on this, but I feel like I, I watched this playback a few times, Nick. Even if it's a drop for Shai Smith, of course, but like even if he catches this, I don't know if he's getting to the first down marker. 
this is an empty set. Ian Thomas clears out the middle linebacker, and Shai Smith wins inside here. Darnay Holmes sets to the outside. He might have gotten a first down here. This could have even been a touchdown. It was just going to require an excellent angle from Dane Belton, who is on the end zone line at this point. Shai Smith would have caught this football at about the nine-yard line. I think he probably would have got a first down, maybe not have gotten the got a touchdown out of this. But damn, dude, what a what a what a big time to have a drop. And this is another reason why they are somewhat inefficient on third down. You drop footballs in situations like this. Third and nine pass with Baker Mayfield puts it right on the numbers. Yeah, there were multiple drops from the Panthers in this game. All right. Let's get to the next one. The Giants are now up 6-3. They force a six-play, 23-yard drive, and then a punt. Really good series by the Giants here. A lot to talk about. The one play I referenced earlier is the first play, which is the back shoulder. Mayfield tries with Flott and coverage, DJ Moore. I thought this was really good coverage by Flott. Yeah, it's great coverage. And yeah, I don't know if DJ Moore expected this to be back shoulder. Flott's in good position, but he's not over the top of DJ Moore. DJ Moore has maybe about a half a step on him, maybe maybe even less than a half a step. And Flott's doing a good job kind of squeezing DJ Moore to the sideline on this play. I don't think DJ Moore knew the back shoulder was coming. And I think that's one reason why, because if he knew the back shoulder was coming, it would have stopped a little quicker and made this catch. And I think he didn't know that because he probably felt like he had flat beat, whereas Baker Mayfield thought the coverage was too tight. So he's just going to squeeze it back shoulder. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So good breakdown of that, Nick. I want to eventually get to the final third and one on this drive from the Giants 48 with 617. I have some things I want to say on that. But before that, do you have any do you have any breakdowns you want to do for, you know, the third and four where uh, Mayfield does a good job finding Ian Thomas or any of the other plays leading up to that? Yeah, it's a similar play call for the one that I went over just before. Only this time, Wink Martindale brings Xavier McKinney and Julian Love, drops O'Shane Zimenez and Tay Crowder as that underneath defender trying to rob the number two receiver. This is a two-by-two two set, six-man protection, not a three-by-one set. So the offensive personnel changes it up a little bit. But Wink Martindale schemes Julian Love, Xavier McKinney in the B-gap against Christian McCaffrey. Two-verse-one advantage to the defense. Again, credit to Baker Mayfield here. He threw hot. And he hit Ian Thomas in stride, but man, Ian Thomas takes a freaking huge hit from Dane Belton. So two plays now where Wink Martindale brought these creative blitzes, rotated safeties a little bit, and Baker Mayfield won them both. Now, it's not going to be like that in the second half, but I yeah. think it's an interesting thing to note. And also just that second and three play where Nick Williams tackles Deontay Foreman for a two-yard gain here. Nick Williams like sloppily like stumbles into Foreman. This low-key, like plays like this, low-key, could be like difference makers, huge difference makers in the game, right? Because you force a third and one, they don't convert the third and one. Them lucky plays, right? They are kind of lucky plays though. Like the tight end blocks down on Nick Williams. Nick Williams shoves Ian Thomas down, which you love, but then he gets tripped and he just kind of stumbles into the lead blocker and he misses the lead blocker, but somehow just hits Deonta Foreman forcing the tackle. Like if that doesn't happen, Foreman probably picks this up because there's a little bit of rushing room there. And then the next thing you know, this could have ended up being a drive here at around midfield. So I just like how little plays like this, plays that seem so innocuous, could have been huge plays in the grand scheme of things. Really funny text I just got that I have to talk about from our buddy Dan Egro, who listens to the podcast. He just said, what's with, he just texted me, what's with the Michelob Ultra Slander on Big Blue Banter? Do you have any thoughts on that, Nick? So I don't drink beer. So for those who don't follow me on Twitter, the reason we talked about Michelob Ultra was because I joined a hockey team and they've been together, this hockey team for years now. I'm the new guy on the team and it's my turn to bring the beer for this ice hockey team. 
and I was going to show up with Michelob Ultra. And I was wondering how fast I would have been kicked off the team after only playing a few weeks with them because these guys, I don't think, I don't think they'd appreciate Michelob Ultra. <laughs> and I put that I on Twitter that. and I got Michelob ratioed. <laughs> you got ratioed hard on that one, didn't you? I did, yeah. Well, I will say this about Michelob Ultra. To its defense, if you're playing drinking games or you want to drink heavily you know, in one, one day, Michelob Ultra is a great beer. It might be the best beer. It might be better than the Bud Lights, the Miller Lights, the Coors Lights, the Natty Lights. Um, dating back to my time at Madison, Wisconsin, Beer 30. I think that's just a Midwest thing. It has no nothing on the label but the word beer and 30. Um, but Michelob Ultra, great for drinking games. So no slander there. Shout out to Dan Agro. This is actually a second reference on the podcast. He was the bachelor party I went to back in Jersey Shore this August. The king of DJs. Literally the king of that club. So shout out to him. Michelob Ultra. I gave it a break. All right. My bad. I spoke too soon. But let's get back to the Giants talk here, Nick. I want to talk <laughs> about this third and one play because I give out an award for this play. You know, I get it. It's a 6-3 game right now. Yada, yada. All the things Joe Judge used to say. But the award for the Joe Judge of the week goes to Matt Rule. Because, look, Nick, it's third and one from the Giants 48. And Baker Mayfield just has horrific ball placement here. First of all, I did not like the call to go to the pass here on a third and run. I thought the Panthers were doing a good job picking up yardage on the ground all game, including into the second half. I think they created almost two yards per carry before contact in this game, 1.79. And they, all they needed on this was one yard. They go to the pass. It's a quick hitting out. And Mayfield's ball placement on this, this is such a simple throw to miss like this. It's high. DJ Moore has to try to one-handed stab it, and he's not able to. Adore Jackson is a really, really athletic break on the ball, let's be clear. But this ball could easily be placed a lot better and probably converted. But then, what I don't understand about this, Nick, <laughs> earlier in the game, they had a fourth and one, the Panthers, and they went for it. Here, it's third, fourth and one on the Giants' 48-yard line. The giant keyword, the Giants 48 yard line, and they punted here. It was a very Joe Judgian esque move, and I didn't like it. The thing is, though, DJ Moore's open here. This is a slant flat, that's which is, you know, Ben McAdoo. Classic special. Ben McAdoo slant. It's a classic Ben McAdoo special, but you have the number one receiver who is a tight end. He basically runs directly at Cordell Flott, who was initially over the number two receiver, who is DJ Moore. So what happens with that is he's going to basically create a natural pick on Flott. Dory Jackson is going to react to the number one's release until he realizes what's happening. So that gives you a little bit of time to squeeze the football into DJ Moore. DJ Moore is open, and you could see that's exactly going down. Cordell Flott cannot get through this tight end who's right. picking him. And Dory Jackson reacts to the tight end before realizing what's happening. Gives DJ Moore plenty of time. He's open. This should have been an easy pitch and catch first down for like three yards or whatever. But damn, Baker Mayfield just... Terrible throw. Throws it high it's and incredible. short throw, too. That's the problem. Like, we would be, yeah. people would be killing Daniel Jones if he missed the throw like this. And I hate, and I don't want to be the person who says that because I do hate on Twitter when people say, blah, 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 everyone would be killing Daniel Jones or these types of plays. This is a good example of it, though. If any quarterback misses this throw, you kill them for it because you just can't miss a simple throw like this. No, you can't. This is just a simple move the pocket. You're flowing. You have no pressure on you. Easy pitch and catch, but it's while you're moving. And Baker Mayfield, this is a terrible mistake by Mayfield. And to the Giants' credit, Giants get lucky here and end up forcing a punt. He threw poorly all day when on the move, Baker Mayfield. I thought going into this game, he had a little bit more arm talent when forced off platform. I do not think that anymore, to be completely <laughs> honest. 
I do not think that anymore. But yeah. also, good play by Adore Jackson to almost come away with an interception here. And I love how he's on the yeah. ground just kicking and screaming like a toddler. I thought that was awesome. He too. wanted that pick so bad, and he knew he was pretty close. He's going to get one soon. The Giants, what? They don't have any interceptions yet, right? No, I don't believe yeah. so. I think this is going to be a low interception total this year for the defense, if I had to predict, to be completely honest. It's just not quite there yet, and the scheme doesn't help get interceptions, obviously. They're not playing a lot of the too high safety looks. They're, not, they're being really aggressive. These are all things that might not lead to as many interception opportunities. But having said that, I think Adoree Jackson will be the guy who does get interceptions on defense. Belton and Jackson are the two guys who I think can rack up some interceptions on this defense, and I'll be, I'll be on the lookout for that. But again... Hated decision by Matt Rule here to punt. Thought it was a weak, pathetic decision. Fourth and one on the opponent's 48 for me is a must-go-for-it situation. So he ultimately punts, thank God, gives the ball back to the Giants. Giants don't actually do anything with this on their next possession. So the Panthers get the ball back here in really good field position. So I guess kudos to Rule And this. Again, I'm a process-based person, but in this specific situation, as it played out, it worked out. So they started the Giants 48. They go on this pretty crappy 10-play drive that only goes 34 yards, but they do get a field goal out of it because they had such good field position. I thought the Giants did a great job here to really clamp down on the end of this drive, starting obviously with the O'Shane Eximinen sack, which we're going to get to at some point pretty soon. But, you know, that's a, a situation where they are threatening here to get into the end zone. And to, lead, to, to limit them to three points here is a big-time stop for the Giants' defense. This was the play I referenced before, too, Dan. 13 personnel here from Ben McAdoo play action and the Giants go into cover three take advantage of those linebackers because the Giants see 13 yeah. personnel they put Calitro out there and now you have your backup tight ends who might be good athletes I, I I'm not sure outrun Calitro and he was wide open here Baker Mayfield put a pretty good pass on him let him a little bit too much because the tight end ends up falling down but this was a little adjustment that McAdoo had a little bit of success with here just Get the linebackers on the field and then use the athletic ability of your tight ends to exploit the linebackers, which is, I mean, it's becoming the, it didn't happen too much in this game, but it happens here. It's becoming a, a disturbing trend though, right? Yep. Like use Dontrell Hilliard, you know, Dontrell Hilliard is now Christian McCaffrey, Dontrell Hilliard, Barry Sanders to get 60 plus yards and two touchdowns through the air in week one, because every offensive coordinator is looking at the New York Giants roster right now and saying, take Crowder, Austin Calitro, Micah McFadden, who is a solid player, but he's a fifth round rookie. Let's attack that. And we don't even know if Micah McFadden will be capable of holding up in coverage. He hasn't really been tested that much. And I think this is going to be a commonality for the Giants this season. That's why I brought it up earlier saying, you know, is this something the Giants gonna, is going to plague them all year? Because when they face these teams, and this is going to be most game plans are going to be pass heavy game plans. Like very few teams run an offense like the Titans, which was insanely run heavy and, you know, tight personnel try to get Derrick Henry going all the time. They're going to have to have these linebackers on the field at times. Like maybe they will get this extreme and just have like mostly one linebacker on the field. But in this scenario, like you said, Kalitro's on the field for one of his snaps and he's immediately targeted and he can't come up with the play here. And I think all season long, these linebackers are going to struggle in coverage. Tate Crowder to me is by far and away their best option in coverage. And that's not a good sign because we all know from watching the film or just watching the broadcast, he's not a good option in coverage either. So I'm a little bit worried about that. We were never going to have a perfect defense this year, though. So it is what it is. Um, the third and three play. I thought you did a good job breaking this down. I looked to your notes for this one. He Baker Mayfield did a good job making the Giants kind of. And, and this wasn't the, this wasn't the only time there was a play later in the game where this also happened. But it, and it ended up being a pass play, uh, but that where the Giants were really committed to the run. But. Giants got a little aggressive at times, and here Mayfield makes him pay for the makes uh, Jihad Ward pay for his aggressiveness and does a good job scrambling for a bunch of yards. It was a zone read play, and, and Jihad Ward just crashed. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean scrambling. It was zone read. Yep. 
yeah, yeah. He just crashed down the line of scrimmage to take McCaffrey and Baker Mayfield tucked it. There was not as much respect for Baker Mayfield as there is for Daniel Jones in terms yeah. of athletic capabilities. And I was wondering if, if he was coached to do this, Jihad Ward, because it's a little bit uncharacteristic of him to do this. Maybe just account for Christian McCaffrey, make sure Christian McCaffrey doesn't get the football because pre-snap DJ Moore, who is aligned with Baker Mayfield, motions, and that removes Darnay Holmes from the side where Christian McCaffrey would have received the football. So I'm wondering if that's just like something wrinkled into the defense because you have Xavier McKinney and now Darnay Holmes on the side of Baker Mayfield. Yeah, Mayfield ends up getting six yards on this play, but better than having Christian McCaffrey take it for six. Exactly. And then on the very next play, this is probably the defining play of this drive and in my opinion of the game. Because if this doesn't happen here, they might end up getting a touchdown here in a game that ends up being a three-point win for the Giants. So first and 10, this is the O'Shane is imminent sack. You guys probably remember it. In my opinion on this play, this was just played so perfect. I put this one up on Twitter because it's so beautiful to watch. The Giants, like, there aren't really any options here, in my opinion. And you could tell me if you disagree. But they're running, like, like you said in your breakdown, mesh curls. And the whole middle of the field is just clogged with Giants defenders. I'm looking at what Baker Mayfield could possibly see here and throw to, and I just don't see anything. And eventually, you know, he tries to work back to his left, and O'Shane Zimnens makes a really nice play after kind of initially getting to the ground and getting a little beat in some ways on his on his pass rush. Hustle play, gets the sack in, and puts them behind the sticks into a second and 17. That really changes the whole perspective of this drive. Because at that point, the Panthers had gone, what, a lot, what, 40 yards or 30, 40 yards in just four plays? And then right after this, it's a loss of seven. Yeah, and the play is really created in terms of just giant success by Leonard Williams, who just bull rushes the crap out of Austin Corbett and puts him on ice skates here. And the Giants are running cover one, just man. You have Tay Crowder, who just flows with Christian McCaffrey, who was releasing to the boundary. You have Dane Belton as the deep safety, even though it's in a reduced part of the field with Xavier McKinney in the middle of the field. So essentially, not a lot of space there, but you have two safeties in the middle of the field to just remove any kind of crossing routes. McAdoo runs mesh. They're eliminated. So then you just have one-on-one on curl routes with off leverage from Adoree Jackson and Cordell Flott. You run a curl, and you're not going to fool because you're not really pressing vertical here because there's not a lot of space. You're not fooling Adoree Jackson or Cordell Flott. They just sit right on top of both of the breaks. Baker Mayfield has nothing he could do. The only thing I think he could probably have done here is quickly check the ball down to Christian McCaffrey. But by that point, I think he would have got rallied and tackled, and and it would have just went for probably a small game. And we'll but get the pressure, to but the pressure. Yeah, and we'll get to it later, Nick. But there was a series, three a three and out series for the Panthers later in this game, the second half where I thought it was just about the most perfect. I, I texted you about this earlier. I was like, that drive, and <laughs> that drive, and you knew the exact one I was talking about, that three-play drive was about as perfect of a defensive play-calling drive and a play, and scheme drive that I've ever seen the Giants have. It was just a lot of plays in this game where there wasn't really many options for Baker Mayfield to go to based on how the Giants guessed where the ball was going. They took away a lot of first reads. They guessed right on where a lot of first reads were going to go despite sending extra, despite sending extra defenders. That's where he really stands out to me in this game, Wake Martindale, where the Giants defense stood out. But let's get to the second and 17 play here. Uh, what did you see on this one? Yeah, so pre-snap, it looks like the Giants might be in a cover one type of situation, but they roll to quarters coverage. The buzz defender pre-snap, so I shouldn't even say buzz, but the robber type of defender pre-snap is aligned kind of just off of where a linebacker would be aligned, and that's Dane Belton. He drops to a deep fourth. Carolina's in a three-by-one set. They're all tight to the line of scrimmage. Cordell Flott is kind of up on the line of scrimmage. He ends up taking kind of a, a one of the deep fourth quadrants, but he expands with the release 
of the flat defender to allow Darnay Holmes to get there before bailing and sinking underneath DJ Moore here. And you could see there's somewhat of a, a bracket on DJ Moore because of the coverage, because of the quarters coverage, which is just four guys deep. Cordell Flott is kind of left to midpoint between the tight end who releases into the flat and DJ Moore, and it ends up just kind of being a verticals type of concept with that tight end who released into the flat running a, a just flat and up DJ Moore running kind of like a wheel to the back corner of the end zone. And then shy Smith running a deep horizontal cross. I think Mayfield might've been able to deliver the football to DJ Moore, but it's very hard to, to, to even say that because the way Dane Belton plays this, he plays it very, very well to yep. close with on DJ Moore. So I think the only option that Baker Mayfield has here is dump the ball off the Christian McCaffrey. And there's a part in this game. So what happens in the pocket, Dexter Lawrence gets really good pressure. And he kind of helps crash the pocket a little bit along with, I think it's O'Shane Zimenez. Baker Mayfield steps up here and Christian McCaffrey's right in front of him. And there's no one around Christian McCaffrey, which did not happen really at all this entire game. Baker Mayfield should have just dumped this ball off yep. to Christian McCaffrey, but he doesn't. He just keeps the football and then he runs for like five yards. Julian Love ends up throwing them out of bounds. Like that that's one of those plays that you look at and you're like, dude, just get the football. You're still well behind the line of scrimmage. Get the football to your playmakers and allow them to make a play. Completely agree with you. All right. How about the final play on this drive? Anything that you saw that stood out to you? Yeah. Carolina man here. They're in empty formation and the Giants just double team Christian McCaffrey. You have Tay Crowder wall him off inside. It looks like McCaffrey has a choice to possibly go inside, but there's no room for him to go inside. You have somebody over the top of Christian McCaffrey. So if he does go vertical, so you have two guys just eliminating McCaffrey from this play. And then you have basically man coverage across the board. It's a stick and nod route from Ian Thomas with a little pivot to shy Smith man coverage. And then you have man coverage across the board. Like I said, with Dane Belton, just sitting at the goal line, just waiting to rob anything that comes over the middle of the field. Again, nothing really Baker Mayfield could do here. He throws a pass to shy Smith and ends up going incomplete, but very good execution here. And I love, love, love how Wink Martindale is just like, Christian McCaffrey, you're not beating us. You want to align as a wide receiver? Cool. You're going to get star wide receiver treatment in the slot. You're not defeating us. And there were a lot of examples of that. The Giants taking away what, what they wanted to do first read-wise in the passing game. So excellent example by you there, Nick. Let's move on to the next drive after this one. That one, again, resulted in a field goal. Now we move to the second half here. Um, this one wasn't great for the Giants, obviously. Their next drive is a three-play, 67-yard touchdown drive where this was when they kind of picked on Cordell Flott here. They found uh, DJ Moore on a few plays on this drive. What was your key takeaways from what went wrong on this drive? Yeah, Flott tries to get a little physical with DJ Moore. DJ Moore releases vertically, kind of pushes Flott off of him as Flott engages. And then DJ Moore stems inside, which gets Cordell Flott, who's kind of on DJ Moore's hips still at this point, to flatten his angle. And then right as Flott flattens the angle, DJ Moore explodes back vertical and Flott is just left in the dust at this point. And Baker Mayfield puts the pass on him. And lucky for Baker Mayfield because Dexter Lawrence yeah. absolutely destroys the guard and, and nails Baker Mayfield as he throws his football. All right, next play is an aggressive play by the Giants. They get penetration from Leonard Williams, but good play by Baker to scramble here for a big gain, 17 yards. Now let's get to the actual touchdown on the very next play. Again, three-play drive, touchdown drive for the Panthers. Worst drive of the day for the Giants defense. Baker Mayfield finds DJ Moore again. Cordell Flott ultimately slipped. Looks like almost like a natural pick at some degree at the beginning. Not really, but then he's he's in phase, and then he just kind of slips out of his break as, as uh, Moore breaks to the back of the end zone on that corner route. What did you see here? Yeah, this is a really 
well-designed play action by Ben McAdoo, but it's not like a, a novel play. You just have reduced set. Two receivers from the backside are going to cross over the middle of the field, and you're going to have DJ Moore, who's aligned to the boundary, release inside, then go vertical, and then go to the corner. It's a common route in Madden for anybody who uh, plays Madden. Not quite a post corner, but you basically, like I said, release inside, and then just turn around, and Cordell Flott is just caught at this point, man. He, he tries to handle the inside release and then work underneath DJ Moore. He's completely stacked at this point, but then as Moore bends his route back outside, there's no way Flock can close with, and he just ends up falling down. Yep, and that's going to happen for a rookie third round. There's still a long way to go in his development, going against who me and Nick believe is arguably one of the better receivers in the NFL. I know it's not common to say that about DJ Moore, but individual, in you know, independent from the quarterback play he's had, and this, in this case, having Ben McAdoo um, and some of the coordinators and stuff that's gone on there, I feel like he's proven that. So not a great drive for the Giants here. It's all right. Ultimately, it doesn't end up costing them this game, but obviously one they want back. And they follow this up, Nick, with three straight unbelievable uh, series for the defense. One is a five-play, 15-yard drive, which we're going to go over. Then it's two straight three and outs by the Giants defense. Three plays for eight yards, three plays for zero yards on one of these drives. I, again, think that it was the single best I've seen from a coordinator, just from a total defense standpoint, in a long time for the Giants. But let's start with the five-play, 15-yard drive here. Um, where do you want to start? What play stands out to you first? I think it was solid run defense on just the first and 10. It was only like a three-yard gain by Christian McCaffrey on a weak side boundary run where the Giants, again, kind of strung it out and didn't allow Christian McCaffrey to find any sort of cutback lane. But then on the second and seven, McCaffrey rattles off an eight-yard gain. The Giants, they stunt up front. So I've said this on the podcast before, but typically twists are what people call stunts. Stunt is just a gap exchange. So a gap exchange, you see it a lot. The Tennessee Titans would do it a lot. You just slant at the line of scrimmage. So like Leonard Williams is the line is a three technique. He slants into the A gap, and that just kind of helps create confusion along the offensive line. And in this case... The objective was you stunt up front. So you have Dexter Lawrence, you have Leonard Williams, you have Jihad Ward, all gap exchange. And then the Giants brought Tay Crowder to fill right off the backside of the tight end. And it works to perfection. It's just Tay Crowder doesn't turn a tight enough corner. And Christian McCaffrey hits the A gap, which is well blocked by Carolina. And it ends up going for eight yards. Dane Belton comes in and makes a nice, low, hard tackle on McCaffrey. Yep. I want to talk about the first and 10 play a few plays later. I thought this was one of the best individual coverage plays by a single def Giants defensive back in this game. Kudos to Darnay Holmes here, because that's a deeper intermediate route. And Holmes stays in phase and makes a really good play at the catch point here to disrupt it on Shai Smith. What'd you see here on this first and 10 coverage play by Holmes? This was the play that Leonard Williams got hurt on, too. The ball was there. I think a good receiver catches this football. I felt like it was one of the better passes from Baker Mayfield. But credit to Darnay Holmes for just kind of putting his hands subtly on the hip of Shai Smith and then getting his hand up towards the shoulder. But a good receiver makes this catch. It, it does. I still think it's good coverage, but the ball's there. Chastise Baker Mayfield, rightfully so. But the ball is there. It should have been caught. And I just like the scrappiness of a player like Darnay Holmes. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to another play that I thought was interesting. A 
two plays later now. It's a second and 10 play where Baker Mayfield eventually has to break, contain, and scramble for what ends up being two yards. I really like this play because I love these looks, and the Giants are sending all those guys at the line of scrimmage, some dropping, some not. But on this one, they actually send a lot of extra. I mean, it ends up being only a, one extra blitzer. It's a five-man pass rush, but they send corner blitzes here. What did you? And McKinney's one of them. Um, so they send blitzes from the edges. McKinney's one of them. What did you make of this call? So there are six guys who are aligned on the line of scrimmage, which is chump change to what we're going to see a little bit later with Tay Crowder right behind him. So there's a lot to consider here in terms of the protection of what the Carolina Panthers are going to do. And you can see a little telltale sign that Darnay Holmes is going to be blitzing because Dane Belton is aligned about six yards off of his ass. Darnay Holmes is aligned over the number two receiver to that side. So what ends up happening is, and this is something Wink Martindale does often, a lot of creative defensive play callers do, is they're going to drop the defenders who are inside of the tackles off into coverage. When you have guys like Jahan Ward and O'Shane Zimenez, they're athletic enough to do so. And the way Wink Martindale uses his safeties to align up in that area, you can do that and then have speed. And that's kind of what the Giants end up doing here because Julian Love it was actually Julian Love who was in that position that I said take Crowder for. Julian Love drops to a deep middle of the field close look here right at the snap. He has to just bail at the line of scrimmage. Jihad Ward fakes like he's going to rush along with Tony Jefferson, and they both bail into middle hook zones. And as this happens, you're wasting three blockers, essentially. They're not being used. Christian McCaffrey is in this protection. He has no idea who is coming on the blitz. He sees Darnay Holmes come, but nobody accounts for Xavier McKinney, who screams off the line of scrimmage and then hits Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield does a good job avoiding the rush and picking up about two yards as he scrambles and tries to get down the line of scrimmage. But as we saw before, he's not the uh, most fleet of foot. But man, dude, the way the Giants are able to scheme free rushers and manipulate the protection packages are awesome here, while also having the flexibility to have a defender like Julian Love align near the line of scrimmage and then bail into a deep center field responsibility at the snap. I mean, that just says something about the trust that Wink Martindale has in these safeties because you could see Dane Belton. I don't think he did it in this game. Julian Love did it twice. I think Xavier McKinney ends up doing it as well. That's a lot of trust. That's a, that's a hard and tough responsibility for a player like that. But, you know, they uh, they definitely rose to the occasion. And I think we talked about it on the last podcast, Nick, but because obviously Phil Snow and the Panthers defense is a little bit to the Giants offensive line. But that's the defining thing for me with Wink Martindale defense. He is there are so many plays that you watch where he's manipulating the pass rush and he's, you know, putting these what you like, what some people like to call simulated pressures out there. And there's wasted offensive linemen or there's offensive linemen who take a false step toward a player they think is rushing who isn't and then don't have time to recover for the actual players rushing like we'll see on some of these other plays. And one thing that stands out to me in this game, Nick, is on a lot of these snaps where they are sending extra players when and not again, they're not sending everyone who's at the line of scrimmage. Some are dropping, but when they're sending more than four guys, so it's considered a blitz. The guys who are actually dropping in coverage are taking away the first read for the quarterback. There were countless times that I saw examples of Baker Mayfield after the blitz try to throw hot and Wink Martindale takes away the hot or whatever he's trying to go to Baker Mayfield. He takes that away and the coverage looks pretty good and it looks like they're accounting for a lot of what the Panthers are trying to do on a lot of these plays, despite the fact that they're sending extra pass rushers. And that to me stands out as just unbelievable schematics. It is. And the objective there is you're telling that defender who's dropping into coverage, whether it be a, say it's a three by one set work underneath the number three, right? The snap flash your eyes and number three work underneath it. And if you send the blitz from that side, which the giants did do a couple times with Jarnay Holmes coming, and then you drop the end man on the line of scrimmage, try to cause some hesitation with the young rookie tackle. Then you could work underneath the hot route from another location. And then that could just screw with the, 
with the decision making process of a player like Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and that's what he said when he first walked in here that he's gonna pro- he promises he's gonna do that. He's gonna make a quarterback make a decision that he doesn't want to make. And when you take away that hot read after you're bl- on a blitz and you have guys blitzing from spots that the offensive line isn't accounting for, or isn't expecting, it makes it really hard on a quarterback. I know, again, there will be quarterbacks who can just process this this thing fast and get the ball out to open guys. I've seen it happen in the NFL. Like The players, the, the teams that have tried to blitz Tom Brady over the years have just got destroyed. You know, the teams that have tried to blitz Patrick Mahomes have just gotten destroyed. But quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield and hopefully Cooper Rush aren't going to be able to destroy that. They're going to either make mistakes against that and turn the ball over, or they're just not going to be able to find solutions. That's the that's the goal right there. And if you look at the Giants' schedule, there's a lot more of the Cooper rushes than there are the Aaron Rodgers, which is definitely good for the New York Giants. Really good for the New York Giants. Very fun stuff. This is drive seven of the game. At this point, it's a tied game. And it's getting a little dicey for the Giants. It was a tie game on the series before, but the Giants offense isn't exactly moving the football, so they need some help from the defense. And they get another unbelievably good series from the defense. It's three plays. It's eight yards from from the Panthers on this one. And ultimately, it's a stop. Now, again, it's another situation where I felt like the Panthers were getting some good things going on the ground here. They had two runs for a combined eight yards. And again, they just take the ball out of McCaffrey's hands on this third and two play and try to throw the ball to Baker Mayfield here. This was the play that I put on Twitter earlier. I thought it was a terrible throw by Baker Mayfield. I understand what the commenter who disagreed with said. Like, based on the leverage of the corner in this, or, or whoever the defensive back is in this spot, he has to kind of throw the ball in that area. But that doesn't mean the ball placement has to be this completely off. I mean, Baker Mayfield rolls right here. There's no pressure from him he even has time if he really wants to to set his feet ground his feet and throw the ball because shy smith at that point is wide open running in free space and he can adjust his route however he wants and baker mayfield has plenty of time to let him adjust this route and to be quite frank if this is even a decent ball with decent ball placement this is actually a touchdown so i actually don't hate the call as much as i said originally from mcadoo here because in all reality baker mayfield left a touchdown on the field here that's not even the read either the read is this it's the same play that was ran before, but instead of having a tight end there, you have Shy Smith. So maybe it was supposed to be an addendum off of what they ran before, and that was the adjustment because they knew the New York Giants were going to play very aggressive on the underneath portion to shut down DJ Moore, which is exactly what they end up doing. And Shy Smith just kind of squeaks away. It gets a little dangerous there. And a better ball would it could have went for a big play here. It really could have. Because Shy Smith, he turns up field there and it looks like maybe a little bit. And this would be one thing I would say out of the break. Shy Smith seems to slow down yep. his momentum a little bit. And that could have been something that would take the the blame off of Baker Mayfield. I don't know why he would slow up here because you showed this play before. You know, the Giants have seen this play before. It's the move of the pocket. DJ Moore in the flat. Everybody plays DJ Moore. And nobody accounts for Shy Smith here. So that could have just been a terrible play on Shy Smith's part. So that if that is the case, which it does seem like he slows up a little bit, then I want to revoke the blame of Baker Mayfield. I'm keeping it because I still think you can make this throw. There's so much space to work with here as a quarterback. And again, zero pressure at all. And if you look at from the launch point where he throws this ball, again, there is a case to be made that maybe part of the problem is Shai Smith slows up a little bit. But in reality, even if he's slowing up, like where he gets out his break when he starts to speed up again, there's still so much space. And if you look at the launch point for Baker Mayfield, I'm running the playback now. Look, just look at how poor the footwork is on this and look at how he's falling away from the throw. 
it's just this is not how a quarterback is supposed to look when he releases the ball and in the follow through. And there's just so much time for him to ground himself real quick and make this throw. And I guarantee the ball placement is better if he does. So I, I, I still want to put it on Baker and we'll never know. But it was definitely a wasted play here. I mean, this could have been a game changing touchdown here. Well, luckily, it was not completed. Yeah. And credit to the Giants for really not allowing DJ Moore to even have any kind of breathing room. Just we, we need to ensure that they cover up Shai Smith on that corner route because it could have been dangerous. No doubt. No doubt. And the good news is we get another. I don't want to call it. Uh, yeah, screw it. I'll call it. The good news is we get another interesting punt here from Matt Rule, fourth and two. Just zero aggression in this game plan from Rule. I think he just felt like, you know, he was going to beat the Giants with one more field goal. Ultimately, that wasn't the case here because he did get another field goal and they still didn't win the game. So let's get to the next possession. Another three and out here for the Panthers def- uh, for the Panthers offense by the Giants defense. This is the series I was talking about, Nick. Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, my main thing that I wrote down before, before we're going to get to the plays, because literally on all these plays, <laughs> it starts with the first play, which is an incredible adjustment by the Giants here to take away something that the Panthers have done successfully early in the game. Then it gets to the second play where the Giants have literally eight guys on the line of scrimmage to start the play. And then somehow they drop into perfect coverage and Baker has nowhere to go with the ball. Then the third play where Baker just looks completely uncomfortable. O'Shane and Lauren, I don't want to spoil all this, but it's just three unreal plays. But my thought, my, my question to you, Nick, is like, why are the Panthers going so pass heavy at this point? I feel, and maybe you felt differently about this run game, but literally on the very next series, McCaffrey break, breaks off a 49-yard run and then follows it up with a six-yard run on power. And it's like, I felt like they got a little cute here and they should have stuck with the run. Especially after Leonard Williams was taken out of the game. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But again, I'm freaking glad they did this. And this is a seven-man protection off the play action. They were trying to hit a big play, man, create an explosive play. And the Giants here, this is an inverted cover two. This is something that we talked about with Patrick Graham, also called Tampa 2 Robber. So pre-snap, middle of the field closed, cover three look. Cornerbacks have slight outside leverage. And then you have Dane Belton in the center field. At the snap, Dane Belton sinks to that Tampa two Mike linebacker role, basically playing a deep middle hook. And then both the cornerbacks, Fabian Moreau and Dory Jackson take the deep halves. So the middle of the field deep is, is an issue at this point. But what the giants do here is Xavier McKinney, again, trust in your safeties is aligned on the line of scrimmage. He bails to sink underneath and match Robbie Anderson who's the number two while also flashing his eyes to the backside on the backside crossers, possibly coming from shy Smith and DJ Moore, who kind of run their own little follow concept there. So Xavier McKinney is executing a few different roles on this play because he can help. If this pass is going to go deep to Robbie Anderson, undercut Robbie Anderson. If you were to run a deep post, which is a vulnerability in this coverage with outside leverage from Adoree Jackson, or if Baker Mayfield wants to hit these horizontal crosses from more shy Smith, he has his eyes on both of them. That is a difficult assignment right there. There's a lot going on for Xavier McKinney. And if anybody really wants an in-depth breakdown of this, go to Big Blue View and check out the video that was posted earlier this morning on Tuesday, September 20th. You have Julian Love, who is also aligned close to the line of scrimmage, who is going to undercut. He's going to robot and then locate Shy Smith and carry him. Dane Belton attaches to DJ Moore from that middle of the field close down to middle hook defender position. And both of those horizontal crosses are now eliminated. You also factor in the end man on the line of scrimmage drops off too, which is O'Shane Zimenez. And he's just basically tasked to work underneath these routes that are going to be crossing the middle of the field while keeping his eyes on Baker Mayfield. Again, six or seven man protection right here. Baker Mayfield gets flushed out of the pocket 
And he almost throws a pick to O'Shane Zimenez here. And Dean Belton is all over DJ Moore. So this, this execution here, this play call, it's wildly creative. It's complex, but it's freaking beautiful. And you could see all throughout this series, Baker Mayfield, the, 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 just his, his mind, he's working through progressions. There's nothing there for this guy to do. There's absolutely nothing that he can do on this play. And I freaking love it, dude. Yeah, it's a seven-man protection. It's only five Giants pass rushers on this play, which is considered a blitz, but five or seven there. And the Giants are still able to get pressure there on this play. And a lot of that is because they got some good penetration. But the fact of the matter is, you even have 37 over there for the Giants. Fabian Moreau is not even like involved in the play at all because there's no receivers in his vicinity. They're, it's almost like they have a wasted player on this play. And it doesn't even matter because there's literally nowhere else for Baker to go with the ball. He has to come back and settle with the throw on an inbreaker on this over route that almost gets intercepted by O'Shane Zimnan. like just crazy for me watching Xavier McKinney. Cause I just watched him back. Now I replayed the, the play as you were talking about it. He looks, so, you just look so in sync on this play exactly when he knows what he's doing here. And just to have that kind of success with a five man rush against a seven man protection with Fabian Moreau, just on the left, you know, on the left side of the field, just kind of out of the play. It's just crazy to me to, to be able to pull that off and they do it and they execute it perfectly. The second and 10 play was just as crazy. Oh, yeah. That play, this, I freaking love the second and 10 play. This is just a simulated pressure. So four come, but at the line of scrimmage, you have eight guys yep. who are up near the line of scrimmage. Four of them bail from the left side of the line of scrimmage. So you have three rushers at the top of the screen with basically two blockers. Christian McCaffrey's kept in protection and he's heady enough and smart enough to realize that Darnay Holmes is coming on the blitz. So he ends up picking him up. But dude, what they do with the safeties, you have Julian Love, you have Xavier McKinney. They're both on the line of scrimmage. At the snap, Dan, they both bail into deep fourth responsibility. Pre-snap, this is looks like cover three again. Only this time, Dane Belton rotates to basically rob the backside receiver. So if it's an in-breaking route, a dig, a skinny post, he's going to rob and be a trap type of coverage on Robbie Anderson there. So he rotates down there. Both Adoree Jackson and Fabian Moreau drop to deep fourth. And Xavier McKinney and Julian Love from the line of scrimmage, Dan, dropped to a deep fourth while looking and staying on top of DJ Moore. You have Jahad Ward, who sank off the line of scrimmage, match Ian Thomas underneath and just kind of stick with him. And then you also have, I believe it is Tony Jefferson, take the flat route. Like the, the amount of moving pieces that you do not see on Sunday that happen on this specific play. And like I said earlier, the amount of trust that Wink Martindale puts on both of his safeties here. It's insane. It's great. And Baker Mayfield, the only thing he can do here is hold on to the football and try to exploit the mismatch of Jahad Ward on Ian Thomas, but goes incomplete. There's nothing they could do, man. This is this is a masterclass by Wink Martindale here. It really is. And then the third down play. I mean, this is incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. That's this drive for the Panthers. The third down play, the Giants only send four rushers here. And it doesn't even matter. They get immediate pressure here with a Shane Eximenens and who was the other guy who got pressure on this one? It looks like Lawrence who had a nice little penetration on this one as well. To me, I mean, at this point, they're getting pressure with four men. If you look at this play on the All-22, there's there's just nowhere for Baker to go with the ball. Like He has to escape this pocket, roll to his right, and throw it out of bounds. Yeah, this is just cover one. It's nothing too crazy. And it's cover one, and then you have the underneath defender who is in the middle hook, Tony Jefferson, just basically sinks underneath the tight end's horizontal crossing route with the man covering defender on top of him. Baker Mayfield has to bail the pocket because of the pressure provided by Lawrence and O'Shane. Jahad Ward is also in pursuit. Tomon Fox wins easily around Ikami Kwanu on the other side. So Baker Mayfield has to account for that. I don't even know if he was aware of it, but nothing open, man. Nothing open. Force the punt, baby. 
Yep. Okay, so now they they go back to the, the next the next time the Panthers get the ball, they do go on a field goal drive. It's five plays, fifty five yards this drive, Nick. But it was really just one forty nine yard run by Christian McCaffrey here, and then they bog down completely. So where do you want to start on this one? Any plays you want to discuss? Yeah, I mean the forty nine yard run is, is is a good place to probably start there. Leonard Williams, we talked about it. He's not in, so you have the rookie DJ Davidson who's aligned at three technique. The Giants are kind of in an over type of front with the three technique to the strength and jelly to the backside as the one technique. So that just allows an easy double team block from the guard and the tackle who just kind of get DJ Davidson out of the B gap isolates Jihad Ward against the tight end. And Ian Thomas holds up the point of attack here long enough for Christian McCaffrey to hit the hole. The linebacker here, Tay Crowder, he shoots, and I don't know if he was tasked to run blitz here. He shoots the A gap here, fills the A gap, and then just gets eliminated from the play. And that just really put the safeties into a bind. Dane Belton has a square up to Christian McCaffrey. He misses the tackle here. And then thankfully, Fabian Moreau has a ton of energy because he didn't have to go through a grueling training camp and he makes this tackle. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy that he put that hustle. I think it's one of the low key plays in this game because Christian McCaffrey could have housed this if it wasn't for the hustle and motor of Fabian Moreau here. Yeah, you're damn right. He could have. And that was an excellent play. Anything stand out to you about how they uh, made the stop after that and forced, um, obviously, a field goal attempt? Dan, the third and nine play. It's yeah. the same exact play that ended the game. Julian Love, Tony Jefferson attacking with O'Shane Zimenez dropping off to match the number two or the number three, depending on if it was a two by two or three by one. Jahad Ward over the nose dropping to middle hook. You have Xavier McKinney and Jahad Ward both on Christian McCaffrey here. But what happens up front, Ikemi Kwanu, he does not close the B gap again. And Julian Love doesn't get the sack here, but he flushes Baker Mayfield out and forces the incompletion. I think Wink Martindale, they watched the film and they saw Iquano get distracted by the end man on the line of scrimmage. He does not want to lose high side to a player like O'Shane, but O'Shane's not coming. He's just a distraction. He's just a ruse the entire time. You have Tony Jefferson, who's up there with Julian Love, run right into the guard. So if Iquano wasn't quick enough to close the B gap, no one's accounting for Iquano on this play in the five-man protection. So Love just explodes through the B gap, flushes him out, and then it forces the incompletion. It's the same exact play we're about to go over on the final drive, that third down where the Panthers had to punt. Iquano made the same mistake. He doesn't close the B gap. Tony Jefferson runs into the guard. And then only on the final drive, Julian Love gets the sack. I love the fact that Wink Martindale went to the well here, that he went back because it worked. And then the rookie could not fix his mistake from earlier. And he was exploited by a really crafty defensive coordinator and good damn defensive players. Yeah. You broke that down really well. And you could just see it as he, as he scrambles, he escapes to his right and throws the ball to bounds. It's just, there's nothing there. It's just, it's crazy to me how the giants can generate that kind of pressure on the defense from a schematic standpoint and still not be that vulnerable at times on the back end. Like just, just wild to see, man. And so eventually, despite having a 49 yard run that could have changed the whole game, it doesn't because they have to settle for a field goal here. Um, and so we get to this final possession here for the Carolina Panthers. It is a four play 12 yard possession here ends in the obvious play you discussed or the play call you discussed earlier, that amazing Julian love sack for nine yards. Anything you wanted to touch on before the sack, the second, first and 10 after a little slip screen to Christian McCaffrey that went for 10 yards, a Dory Jackson, man, how he just closes on Robbie Anderson here takes the angle, just gets right to that upfield hip. There's no room for Robbie Anderson. If this ball is on target, Dory Jackson could either intercept this or just knock it down easily out of the grasp of Robbie. I felt like on this play, and just throughout the entire game, throughout the entire season, yes. Dory Jackson's just always in position, bro. 
we haven't talked about him a lot on this podcast, and that's just the nature of playing the cornerback position, right? Like, there's not you're, he made the we talked about him a little bit earlier in the run in the run support, which he did a good job. But we talked about him on the on the third and one pass where he broke to the ball, almost had an interception, and we talked about him on this pass. But that doesn't mean he didn't have a great game. He had a really phenomenal game. He's had a phenomenal season. He's really truly evolving in front of our eyes into this lockdown corner, and. You know, I would love how you brought that up because I just rewatched that play and he's just right on his hip in coverage. And the second and 10 play, again, just crazy rotations, man. Like this stuff could get exploited if it's processed, but yes. good luck processing it. Because here, Darnay Holmes comes on a blitz. So the, the Carolina formation, shotgun, right? They're an empty three by two. The H-back is slightly off the line of scrimmage, but he's he's in line. So... It's not like three receivers out there. And then to the two receiver side, it's basically a reduced stack. Pre-snap, look for the defense. Middle of the field closed. Dane Belton is in center field. And then you have eight guys on the line of scrimmage because it's Wink freaking Martindale. What happens post-snap? Julian Love, again, bails to center field, just turns and just runs to center field, turns towards the three receiver side, looking to see if there's anybody breaking inward so he can get a beat on it once he gets to his landmark. And then Dane Belton from the middle of the field close spot I'm talking like 20 yards away, maybe even more, is tasked to cover the number two receiver. So Baker Mayfield, like we saw earlier in the game, twice with my Paisan Ricci and Ian Thomas, was supposed to throw hot here to Shai Smith, but he didn't process the blitz from Darnay Holmes. So he doesn't know Shai Smith is wide open. Dane Belton flies down over the top of Shai Smith. You have Jahad Ward also drop off the line of scrimmage to just mess with anybody coming from the three receiver side underneath. He's specifically looking at Ian Thomas. Baker Mayfield has no idea. The protection does not pick up Darnay Holmes. Darnay Holmes nails Baker Mayfield. Somehow he completes the pass to Christian McCaffrey with Zay or with Tony Jefferson in coverage, and that sets up the third and six. But dude, this amount of movement here—it's insane. It, it's so like when you when I first watched it, I was like, bro, there is so much moving parts that you don't pick up on on the broadcast angle. But once you watch the all twenty-two, you're like, dude, this is just so many different types of coverages and players dropping off the line of scrimmage and pressure packages. I don't know how the offensive line is supposed to account for the amount of moving parts the Giants were employing here in the second half. Yeah, and I think ultimately it's like you don't get burned by the offensive line accounting for them because it's a very difficult, difficult task. You get burned when you have those quarterbacks who just kind of process it so quick and know where to get the ball out of their hands and have that quick release. And we'll see again if that'll happen. I'm not convinced it happens first right away in that London game against it's not going to happen against fields. I know that it's not going to happen against Cooper Rush. I mean, I don't know anything, Nick, you know, nothing in life, Jon Snow, but I don't think that <laughs> these quarterbacks are going to burn the giants with processing these, these blitzes fast, but Rodgers, maybe. I'm not convinced there either. There's just so much dysfunction right now in that passing game. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, we're going to have a game that we break down where it doesn't look as great. We've talked about that. But anyway, final play of the game, Julian Lovesack. It's the same concept I went over before. You have Tony Jefferson engage the guard. Julian Love explode through the open B-gap. O'Shane Zimenez drops into coverage. Only this time you have a tight end to Ikemi Kwanu's side who doesn't help in protection. He just releases right out into a route. And O'Shane Zimenez, he turns, flips his hips along with Darnay Holmes to work underneath the number two receiver to that side. And Iquanu, he gets to his second step before he realizes the B-gap is open. This is the same play he saw a series ago. But for whatever reason, he doesn't process it quick enough where he thought the guard was going to handle it. But Tony Jefferson is tasked to run at that guard to occupy that guard because the center has to deal with Jahad Ward if Jahad Ward were to come, who's aligned at the nose. But Jahad Ward drops to an underneath coverage. So you have two blockers taking on Tony Jefferson, Ikemi Kwanu paying attention to O'Shane Zimenez, and then an open B gap for 
Julian Love just to waltz in and just absolutely obliterate Baker Mayfield. Like, talk about scheming, bro. Talk about beautiful X's and O's and scheming. This reasons like this, this kind of scheming, and we broke it down when Wink Martindale came to the New York Giants. But this is the reason we do this podcast, man. Stuff like this. We love to yep. freaking see it. And we're going to get a lot of fun stuff like that. That's the kind of coordinator Wink Martindale is. It's not to say we don't think Patrick Graham was a good coordinator, but it's to say he certainly wasn't as fun one, <laughs> fun of a coordinator to break down on film. That's quite exactly. obvious. And so, and honestly, I'm going to be honest with you, Nick. I think this is the, now that I'm, now that they've got a little taste of it, this is, I don't want to ever go back. Like these are the type of guys I want running the Giants defense. I just, again, like you said, there are so many more scenarios where you're putting the offensive line in conflict, where you're putting the quarterback in conflict, forcing him to make a decision he doesn't want to make. There are some merits to playing the other way. Like I think Gannon's running a really good Eagles defense right now, and it's really tough to create big explosive plays against him. And we've seen a lot of defenses move in that direction to slow down quarterbacks like Patrick Holmes and Josh Allen. And we'll see again, like if this defensive style can hold up against those types. And eventually, you know, if you want to win a Super Bowl, it has to. But as far as like giving you an advantage on a weekly basis, I do feel like most of these quarterbacks in the NFL, the vast majority, two thirds of the quarterbacks in the NFL are going to be susceptible to not and, and throw in the two thirds of the offensive lines or maybe even more, maybe three fourths of the offensive lines are going to be susceptible to this style of defense on a weekly basis. Dude, it's it's remarkable. I liked Patrick Graham, but this is just totally different in terms of dictating terms and aggressiveness. Patrick Graham was all about, you know, allow the check down, rally and tackle, force third and manageable, third and short, and then just come up big in those situations. Wink Martindale is I'm going to try to get you into second and 17 and then try to get you into third and 25 and then maybe I'll play off a little bit. And I and I do believe he's going to make adjustments. It's not just going to be reckless. But what we saw against Baker Mayfield, not the best quarterback against that offensive line, not the best offensive line against freaking Ben McAdoo. It was great in the second half. It was phenomenal scheming and X's and O's and Again, I know I brought it up again. I'm not just trying to promote my stuff, but I dive into the details of that three-play drive. I dive into everything on the YouTube over at Big Blue View. If anybody wants to go and watch it, I felt like it was a pretty informative breakdown. Yeah, promote away. It's an excellent breakdown. deserves everybody's eyeballs, and it puts a lot of context. I would even suggest, you know, you can maybe listen along with this while watching that, although you do give a good breakdown on that. But, you know, it gives you some context visually of what we're talking about here. Anyway, Nick, let's wrap this thing up with some superlatives that we want to dive into here. All right, Nick, let's start this off by you giving me the unheralded player on film for you. Unheralded player on film. Dude, there this it could be insane, right? Like there's so many players there I can are. go with here. Yeah. I thought about going with Cordell Flott, but the fact that the only Panthers touchdown was surrendered by Cordell Flott and he was specifically picked on and he got benched made me say no. But he was pretty unheralded in the first half. But I'll just give him my credit there and go with O'Shane Zimenez. I think O'Shane, we brought him up. We, we talked about some of the good things that he did. I felt like he played a pretty key role as an underneath defender. He got the sack. He applied pressure in the game and he was just doing a multitude of different things. Whatever Wink Martindale asked him to do, he did it. And he did it at a pretty damn high level, finished this game with three pressures. So I'm going to go with O'Shane here. Yeah, that's a good pick. He, I think he was a little more heralded, but I'm not going to argue those types of semantics with you. And I do like that he's getting his due because he deserves it. I'm not sure he fits any of my categories. I'm happy you called him out. For me, it will be Dane Belton. Again, when you play that high number of snaps in a role like that, where you're asked to play the center field a lot here in this defense, and you almost come up with an interception, you make several other plays where you're around the ball. 
again, missing all of camp, coming in like this, playing that big of a role, that's a really I, – I love to see it. So he he gets my nod this week. Nick – oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I didn't say anything. Sorry, I didn't know if you were going to talk. Oh, okay. Good. All right, Nick, best individual effort on film. So I think there's one that's very obvious. I'm going to leave that one to you. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Xavier McKinney play on the RPO because that's difficult, man. You're the read defender. You're supposed to lose that situation. You're supposed to lose that situation. And he forces the throw and then gets into the passing lane. And it was all by design. I feel like he's processing that. That wasn't by accident. The way he flew down from that apex spot, knowing that it was going to be an RPO, that he that Baker Mayfield was just going into the mesh point, knowing all that, and then stopping getting his eyes on Baker Mayfield and then flashing his mitt in the way of the slant route. That's, that's great right there. I'm going to go with Xavier McKinney on that PBU. And I'll take the obvious one. It's Dexter Lawrence on the third down play where Baker Mayfield tries to scramble third and short to get the first down. And Dexter Lawrence somehow finds a way to track him down at like weighing probably close to 150 pounds more than Baker Mayfield, right? <laughs> Maybe only like a hundred pounds in reality, but still just in crazy, crazy effort play there. I want to add one here. Give me the player, because I'm curious to get your take on this, a player who you thought played with the best individual effort overall in the game. I'm going to go with Julian Love. Yeah, brought it up a little bit before. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a little bit before, man. He, he got knocked on his ass like three or four times, and he ends up making the tackle like away from the ball. like Or he was away from the ball when he got knocked on his ass. So that dude was everywhere. There are good, strong runner-ups. Like Jihad Ward is a strong runner-up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like he could be in this mix every game with what they asked him to do and the effort puts out there. I'd also say Shane Zimmons could fit this category as well. Fabian but, Moreau. Fabian yeah. Moreau, too. Yep. Let's go with best play call by Wink Martindale in this game. Jeez, man. I, I guess I'm going to go with Many the, to choose from. Yeah. Really, all if you listen to the last 30 minutes of the podcast, you can select any of those and I would be fine. But let's just go with the third and sixth sack to force the punt. The fact that they went back to that after they had success with it on a previous drive and Julian Love ends up actually finishing the play here and getting the sack. I absolutely love that. But literally, there could be 20 play calls that would fit this description. Yeah, that's the best one for me, too, just because of the timing and the importance of it. But I will go with my favorite one here is the player right before it, that second and 10 that you broke down. I mean, just to have all those guys on the line of scrimmage this snap. And yet right after the snap, it's like so funny to me to watch the all 22 view of it. They rotate right in position in coverage, and yet you're still getting pressure. It's just it's so cool to see. Like it makes it so difficult in my mind for opposing quarterback. And I just love to see it. So I'll go with that one. Give me the best player overall on film for you. This is another one that's really tough. tough I think one. it can go to several different players. I think I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with Leonard Williams. Here. Damn it, that's my pick too. Go ahead. Yeah, Leonard <laughs> Williams. He had I think four pressures in the game. But if you just watch him, he's winning at the point of attack. He's pivotal to the run defense. He's creating interior pressure, which is something that we want from a player like him who's making that much money. He was just kind of everywhere. But I also think you could have went with Dexter Lawrence. I think you could have went with Adori. Adori, who is my the first guy who popped into my head. Julian Love, possibly, like he could just be in the conversation a little bit. So that like this is a good issue to have, Shane, right? It's not a, to be honest. So Shane could yeah. definitely be in the mix. And I think an unheralded player, maybe I should have went with this player, is Darnay Holmes. I think Darnay Holmes is somebody who had a pretty solid game as well. And we we didn't really talk too much about him, but he's somebody that ended up coming up at least harassing Shy Smith on that one deep number two over route should have been caught still, but I think Darnay Holmes had a pretty solid outing as well. It was a dominant effort by the defense. To be completely honest, they give a few big plays here and there, but they didn't allow, they allowed an insanely low completion rate. They got off the, they got off on tons of third down situations. They 
They forced tons of field goal attempts and they had big sacks and big opportunities or big forced pressures to, you know, forcing completion. So a lot of people fit the bill. This was an incredible game for this Giants defense. Let's wrap it up with these two things, Nick. Give me a pass rushing grade one through 10. Pass rushing grade one through 10. Uh, let's go with a 6.9. <laughs> nice. I'm going nice. to go a little higher, though. I'm going to go 7-7. Seven, seven. It wasn't always great, so I, I can see why you're you're a little bit lower, and maybe I'm being a little bit too aggressive here. But just you know, watching some of these plays where they were able to get pressure, even the plays where they only have four guys rushing, it seemed, um, or some of these simulated pressures, it was just, they just felt like it was... It, to me, it, the reason my grade is so high is it felt like Baker Mayfield eventually got completely uncomfortable in the pocket. And that was because of some of the, you know, some of the scheme the Giants ran on him and their ability to get through to him and make him feel uncomfortable. So for me, it's a little bit higher for that reason. I'm curious to get your take. I on actually, these. I agree with you. <laughs> I think okay. I think I would I think I would change a little bit and go up to like a seven, seven or a seven, five or something like that, because yeah. you're right. There was there was a lot of pressure and it wasn't always these edge rushers. A lot of it was from Lenny. A lot of it was from Dexter right. Lawrence and Baker Mayfield was definitely uncomfortable. So I'm going to change on the fly. Totally abandon what I said before and go with a seven point eight. Oh, OK. I like it. Not as nice, but I like it. And I will say this. Once they are able to actually also get edge pressure when they have Aziz Ojolari and Kevon Thibodeau on the field, who knows really where this defense can grow Like with that in mind. so I, I, also, don't, I also don't know how to quantify this category because are we accounting for the blitzing or right. is this more of an individual effort That's thing from the players? I'm accounting for the blitzing in mind. If it was just individual, it would be a lower grade. Well, then if, if we're accounting for the blitzing, I think I would go even higher than a okay. 7.8. Yeah. Okay. What are we doing if we're accounting for the blitzing? Yeah, it should, do, it should be higher. It has to be like an 8.5, right? Yeah, they didn't really miss much when it came to trying to get pressure. Maybe even higher, like, yeah. like an 8.9. And I think that's how we should do it moving forward instead of the individuals because it's just overall, you know, can you get pressure or not as a defense? Um, especially if it's not, le you know, it's not too much in too many ways jeopardizing the back end coverage, which it didn't in this game for the most part. All right, run defense grade 1 to 10. I feel like we might be a little different on this one. Yeah, the run defense, I'm going to go with a good 6.4 here. I know you're probably going to be lower, but I felt like they really eliminated the outside zone. They were really disciplined with their cutback lanes, and Sands a 49-yard run by Christian McCaffrey. They, they bottled him up for most of the game, and a lot of it might have been because Ben McAdoo was Ben McAdoo and straight away from running the football. But at the same time, I felt like Lenny and Dex and Jihad Ward and even O'Shane Zimenez and some of these other defenders were really good at just keeping their ground, staying in their gap and executing their assignments. I think the one thing that would work against them is the fact that Tay Crowder might not have had the best game and we had a safety playing linebacker and right. it wasn't terrible, but there were times where you could see Julian Love getting physically moved by offensive line. That's going to happen when you align a 200 pound player in the box. Yeah, I go 5-1 on this because, again, I do think a lot of the reason why they didn't get torched in the run game was because Ben McAdoo got a little too cute with his play calling. I agree with everything you said, though. They took away the main concept that the Panthers wanted to run, and everyone who you mentioned I thought did good against the run, it was everyone who you didn't mention who I thought struggled at times against the run when it comes to, you know, having Tay Crowder not really making many plays or just having that extra safety instead of a linebacker making it difficult for him. It was the second level where I thought the Giants were, weren't really doing a great job. Not too much penetration from those second level players to make stops in the backfield. No, no real, very few tackle for loss opportunities. So just that's kind of where I, I, I kind of lean in on average 5.1. 
Love it, man. Love it. But damn, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for this defense moving forward. Let's hope they can do something similar against Cooper Rush. Primetime, everyone's going to be watching, man. Everyone's going to be watching. There's this energy, this buzz around the New York Giants. Let's hope they can do an Avenged Sevenfold and seize the day. <laughs> nice. And I'm going to be there, by the way. I know I've said it before, but if anyone wants to meet up potentially before the game, just DM me. That'll probably be the best way to go about us meeting. I'll be there with my brother. I'm not sure what time he's going to be able to get out of work. I'm going to play a little hooky. Not really. I mean, my Mondays end up being slow in the afternoons anyway, so I'll be able to leave early. I'm going to stop by the Talking Giants tailgate. I was already talked to Justin about that. I'm going to see Snacks and Justin there, whoever else is there. But I'm not going to be there the whole time because I've got other tailgates to go to or one other tailgate I want to go to, and I'm meeting up with my uncle as well, my cousin and my brother. So I'll be all over the place, but I will definitely make an, uh, an effort to meet up with anyone who wants to meet up. I, again, like I said, going into FanFest, I'd love to meet some more of you. So just hit me up in the DMs. Let's talk. This will be the only game I most likely get to go to because I have to work all the other games. Um, football Sundays are not days I can usually get out to the stadium on to be by a computer. Having said that, if the Giants do make the playoffs, which is starting to feel a little bit more possible than it did ever, I might be able to make those games too. So we'll, we'll see what happens on, on all of this front. But definitely reach out if you want to meet up. Otherwise, one thing we're going to ask, please do us a favor. Make sure if you're listening to our podcast, you hit the download button. I know a lot of people go about their podcast just hitting play. You're streaming it. I get it. You're on Wi-Fi. But that doesn't help us. If you want to help us grow, we need you to hit the download button. You could delete it right after you listen. That doesn't matter. As long as you download. Honestly, if you download, delete, download again, delete again, that works double for us. So it's a little trick there um, that I've learned throughout this. So please make sure you download. If you can, leave us a five-star rating review on iTunes or Spotify. I saw a lot more ratings come in recently, so thank you to everyone who did that. We got about eight more, uh, seven being five stars, one being a low two-star. But instead of giving him the benefit of the doubt, I will say this because I'm a weirdo who reads through all of these uh, reviews on iTunes. It's the exact same bad review that I've already seen on this site. So it's literally, he just updated it and copied it over and I get it. I have my haters. So uh, I'm just going to, just going to let that one pass, but thank you to everyone who gave us a five-star review. I know one of them mentioned the audio. We are working on that. There will be a day coming very soon where the audio sounds very good on my end. I know Nick has fixed his audio. It's great. And I need to get on that level and I'm working toward that, but Thank you to everybody tuning in. Thank you to everyone who supports this podcast. We love the comments we get from you guys on Twitter saying, look, we like the podcast. Some of you are like, I love the podcast. I, I use it on my morning commute. Well, everything that you tell us and from that end just really makes us feel good. And it really makes us want to do this even more. And we're going to have more content coming this week. We have two th more things planned for this week. First, a preview of the Dallas game with the Dallas uh, with someone who covers the Cowboys. And then we're going to also have a fun thing, a fan-based thing later in the week um, that we'll get to as well. So we'll keep that one a surprise. Everyone else, or I mean otherwise, everyone, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.